Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall, and we're recording this one once again from AFTN Towers. We've got a packed show ahead for you, and I'm very pleased to say that in this first part, I am joined by regular co-host, Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. So how you doing, Zach? How are you and your family holding up? Doing well, Michael. Uh, yeah. Another week of hanging out at the house a lot, hanging out at the office a very little. So in this first part of the show, we're going to have a little bit of chat about how the the shutdown in football has gone around the world, although not all of football has shut down, and we're going to come to that in this part. So we're going to just have a, a roundup of what some of the governing bodies are, are saying in, in the various leaks. And there's some, some interesting stuff coming out there from how some of the, the different places are looking to deal with things. The governing bodies, like FIFA, they've been talking this week about extending players' contracts automatically because a number of players' contracts in Europe, for example, are going to expire on June 30th. Now, I can't see this ending well because surely there's going to be some players disgruntled at their clubs or got a big move lined up for the summer. There's going to be some players that's got a move to MLS lined up for the summers and they're not going to want their contracts extended. They're not going to be happy. I can see this ending up in court and could this be a, another Bosman situation? Yeah, I think Bosman's probably a bit of a strong strong um, comparison, but, or, uh, you know, too, that's, that was too, that was more long-term impactful in terms of the game of football than this will be. But, um, yeah, True. I, I wonder if they'll try and do something that creates an opportunity for those who are, are going to move to still move and those who need the security of, of a contract being extended, particularly including, you know, you know, some of the benefits or whatever, the insurance or health coverage that they would have um, connected to their contract uh, still be in place. Right. So maybe, maybe it can be a both, uh, you know, both end, you know, where they can uh, some, there, there's a way for players to have their contracts automatically renewed because of the situation, and, and maybe there's a way that they can allow contracts to end for those who it's more beneficial for them. It definitely is a like a concerning time in terms of yeah, what what does this look like? Because you know seasons uh, have not been able to be completed, and the 
massive amount of uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen next year, right? Like in terms of, uh, I think you you want to talk about you know you know UEFA and what they're going to yeah their their plan for the Champions League and stuff. Well, you, you, yeah, they haven't finished this year, so like, how does that work for next year and all that kind of stuff? Well, let, let's move on to what UEFA said, and on Saturday they said that they're leaving it up to individual European leagues as to how they will decide to to end their seasons or whether they're going to want to extend it, carry it on indefinitely, just call it now. And I think UEFA's doing that because they don't want to be seen to be the people that are telling the clubs to do it. So in some countries, there's definitely going to be legal action taken. So they're kind of washing their hands with it in a way and just leaving it up to the leagues, which means it's the leagues that's potentially going to get sued and, and stuff. UEFA's good for kind of dictating to clubs what they have to do and then a time like this when you actually want and need some central leadership they kind of wash their hands with it yeah uh, again i think this is you could look at this both both ways i think it, it, it would be nice to have just uh hey yeah let's point the finger to the top and they made the decision there's nothing we can do but i, I bet you you're right is that the uefa's legal department has looked at this and said hey let's not be the ones who are liable for you know uh, the frustrations that might come out of this uh, for clubs and leagues and players and all that kind of stuff. So uh, they are opting to let the, the, the they're opting to let their children make their the children to make the decision for themselves and then to deal with the consequences. <laughs> um, um, and so uh, now federations and leagues will have to now decide what to do. Which um, I don't, I don't I, because. I mean, we're, we'll talk about, too, how some leagues are making certain decisions right now that are different than the rest of the world. But I think you will see some creative ways to... Uh, I, I think one of the things that's potentially exciting is you could see some creative ways to, to end seasons or decide championships or decide titles, right? Like, you know, mm. it's like England or whatever, right? Like, it's... Uh, I can't remember if it's finalized or whatever. I can't remember if the, the EPL... Uh, or the Premier League has come out and said what they're going to do fully, but not yet. Or you, or, or you look at it and it's like you, you know there was there was only one winner, right? But yeah. I think there are some other races in Europe that you could say, hey, maybe when this is all done, they have like a, a mini playoff or a, a final or whatever to just to say who won the you know the 2019-2020 season. Well, the latest news coming out of the the EPL today was that there's a plan to have massive camps held in the Midlands. All the Premier teams would go there, finish the season off by playing games, be put up in hotels, kept away from each other apart from playing the games, take place in June or July. It would be a mega TV event, and apparently that has the government backing, so we'll see if something comes out of that as well. Tottenham's Harry Kane came out today and said he feels the season should just be scrapped, but without saying whether he thinks Liverpool should be awarded the title, and you're still going to have some people that are saying, no, if it wasn't lifted, then they haven't won the title. And for a team like Liverpool, that's ridiculous. But yeah, elsewhere in Europe, there's a lot of tight title races. If we move over to like Germany, I mean, there's a title race there. There's not been a lot decided as to what's happening there yet. I I saw on Twitter over the weekend, I I thought there's a really nice touch that the four German sides that were in the Champions League this year, because obviously they get a huge windfall from that, so Bayern Munich and Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen and RB Leipzig, it's like they are going to give 20 million, I think it was dollars, it might have been euros, but 20 million to help out Bundesliga 1 and 2 clubs 
that are struggling financially just now. So, I mean, that was a nice touch. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 20 million euros. And this is like, I know lots of people rag on clubs like Bayern for how they use their financial, because their financial um, stability and, and situation is, is, is something that they created and developed themselves, right? Like they built it themselves and then and then they leverage it. They, they use it in so many ways to maintain their sporting success, right? And to, and to continue to maintain and grow their commercial success. And so a lot of people look down on them or, or you know, don't like how they use use what they created to to stay at the top, right? You know, it's one of the things. However, they are one of these clubs that has done a lot to try and help other teams, other teams when they're in tough situations. They helped FC St. Pauli in massive ways um, stay alive in the times where they uh, faced um, certain demise. Uh, they've helped their own arch rivals in uh, 1859, as we like to call them, or 1860 Munich. They've mm-hmm. helped them in a number of different ways when they didn't have to, but for the betterment of football in the city and in and the region, uh, they have done a number of things financially to help them. Um, and so, them doing this is not not surprising. If you, you, I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples, Michael. What they're doing as a, as a club themselves beyond this uh, collective action with the the, the, the Champions League side. The players and the board members have waived 20% of their salary already. And the club itself has donated uh, already 10,000 euros to the Munich Food Bank just to kind of just help in their own city, in their own, in their own community. And nice, yeah. I think you'll see that continue and, and grow uh, as if, if things continue in a, in a difficult way in, in, in all this. One thing I want to say is, well, people have time. If you, you know, well, you have time. If you have Amazon Prime, you really should go and watch the Borussia Dortmund uh, show that's on there that follows them, I believe it's last season. I believe it's the 2018-2019 season. And it gives you a great insight into them as a, as a football club, not just of that season, but of their history as a club. And you'll, you'll see an example of uh, a lot of things from the German perspective of German culture and German football stuff. So the conversation around Hoffenheim and Leipzig and those kind of clubs and how they run differently. There's some really great insight into that because Borussia Dortmund was the first German club and it may, might be the only German club who ever went on the, the, the German stock exchange to help them raise money and how that was not good for them as a club. But basically, Dortmund talks about the history of them as a club and how they almost died because of uh, kind of straying away from the traditional uh, approach to German football and it being a community-based thing. And uh, how they how they were saved, and it's a really it's a really really interesting look at that. So if you if you're interested in German football, make sure you go and watch that. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out myself. Yeah, they have quite a bit of football content on Amazon Prime. It's surprising actually how much uh, they have. I mean, there's the Man City similar kind of documentary series of Man City season from a couple seasons ago. The All or Nothing. Yeah. And then they have all these like a bunch of the World Cup retrospectives and stuff. Like really, it's really really intriguing. Well, we touched on the, the Champions League there and something else which UEFA have said this week is if they're thinking that if clubs cannot finish their current season and like declare champions and who's going to be in what sports, then they won't be allowed to take their place in the Champions League next season, which is kind of, again, forcing these leagues to, to make a decision. Yeah, 
and it's weird. It's weird because I mean, you and I were I think, talking before we pressed the record button. But like, what? Like, what is? What is this all going to look like? Like a month from now, right? Yeah. Like this is, you know, when you look at what's happening in the in the parts of the world where the virus hit first, right, and how they're still not at a, they haven't gone back to normal fully yet, right? And how many months has it been? Like four or five months? Yeah, I think December was kind of the first real outbreak. So like four months, right? And so, yeah, so to think of, I mean, obviously these clubs are also, they're football clubs, but they're also football businesses, and so they need to think about the long-term effects, but like, it's hard to see things getting back to normal, normal, for August, September, you know, or even October. Mm. Um, at this moment, anyways. That's just how it feels. Maybe that's just a feeling, not, you know, that's, that is, I guess, a long ways away, but... Well, I mean, the UK today, their health spokesman was talking about that it might be six months before the UK gets back to normal. So, I mean, if you're looking at that, you're looking at September, October yeah. time. That's crazy to think that this disruption... I mean, they're not saying it, it's necessarily a full lockdown, but actual normality, it might take that long. And, of course, clubs will try, or governing bodies will try to to find creative ways both good and bad, to kind of deal with this. And, I mean, I don't know if we're going to be looking at the potential of some top-flight games being played behind closed doors, but there certainly does not seem to be an appetite from the players for this. No, I mean, we're, yeah, you've seen that in other sports. Like, we were, we, again, we were also talking about basketball and how yeah. you know, LeBron James is like, yeah, I'm not playing if there's no fans, <laughs> if there's no fans right? Which is not just a, a nice, he's not just trying to sound, you know, sound good to his fans. I think he really believes that. Like, he really doesn't want to do that. It's well, yeah. the same, right? Because the, the NBA this week were saying that they might look at putting players up in, in a hotel in Las Vegas. They also talked about the Bahamas, but I'm not sure how that would even work. But Las Vegas, get them in hotels, get them to play games in empty arenas. And it's like it's obviously for the money. It's they, They're really not caring whether the season gets finished, I believe. It's like they just want to make sure that they've got their television deals and... Some sport is going to to take this as an opportunity to have a captive audience at home watching them. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. It could, it could happen that way. It's interesting to see that that how that that's driving a, a lot of this. It seems. Yeah. Well, I mean, moving over to the UK, which is something that is certainly not recommended right now, especially with a, a shower of idiots as the UK government has in charge at the moment, shaking hands with victims and then coming down with the coronavirus himself. Great leadership. But well, He's just trying to get that whole herd immunity going, right? Yeah, all by himself. <laughs> but the FA this week, they did make a decision with regards to non-league football and some women's football. And their decision was that they've cancelled all football from the leagues, from the National League down. So for, for those that aren't familiar with the UK setup, you've got your four leagues in the Football League, then the National League is the top non-leagues league, and they can get promoted into the Football League. Then below that, there's National League North and South, which is kind of like the second division of non-league football. So none of those are affected. It's everything below the non-league so it's things like the Ismian League and the Northern League and way beyond that, which is leagues that I've always had a, a lot of interest in. This you were talking about last week, who you were surprised they hadn't shut down yet, right? Yeah. So, they, I mean, they were playing, but now 
It even goes beyond that. They've not just shut them down. They've cancelled the leagues and they've said that the season does not exist. All results have been expunged and clubs are coming out and saying, if this was the football league or if this was big teams, you would not be making this decision. Which, yeah, I don't think you've, well, you haven't seen that yet from those big leagues. Um, but, I, I, I know, are you are you frustrated by that? Like, does it, I know it ultimately matters because they're, they're a part of those, they're a part of the pyramid, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's... This is a pretty some extraordinary circumstances, an extraordinary time we're living in, right? Like, it's, it, some extraordinary measures are going to be have to, you know, their decisions are going to be have to be made about all this. Yeah, and I know you can't please everyone. It just it seems weird to do it to some and not all of the pyramid, and then you've got situations like yeah, because you're saying the season doesn't exist. So then you've got uh, a, a club like Jersey Bulls. Quick bit of background: Guernsey, the island of Guernsey, joined the football league a couple of years ago. I think it was 2011. I've kind of followed them a little bit. I've got programs, and it's fascinating to me because they they play on an island. They have to play all their home FA Cup games on the mainland. They have to pay for every team that comes to visit them. So then the island of Jersey, they joined the Football League this season. This was their first season in it. Same rules applied to them. They had an outstanding season. They had won all 27 of their matches they were 20 points clear of the division and now that whole season's been wiped out. And then you've got other teams as well who have spent heavily, even in non-league football, because obviously you can climb through the ranks. So they've spent heavily on players and investment in their teams only to be told, well, you're not getting promoted. Some of them had already achieved promotion or were very, very close. And now these teams are all threatening legal action. So there's never going to be an easy answer it just this does not seem like the right answer, at least for now. Yeah, again, to me, it's extraordinary times, and some extraordinary measures are going to have to decisions are going to have to be made that are definitely not going to make everyone happy. The other danger, as well, is the longer that this goes on, and we've talked about this in some previous shows. There's a lot of clubs in England, in particular, some in Scotland, that are in a, a very perilous state. They are going to go out of business. They're already laying staff off. Some of them are paying players half their wages. Hearts in the Scottish Premier said to the players that they feel that they need to be on 50% wages and the players were like, well, no, we have mortgages to pay. And Scottish Premier is not like English Premier where you've got crazy amount of money a week. Some of these guys aren't making big, big money. Half that and they're, they're in a lot of trouble. But teams are going to go bust. I think we're going to see it in Europe as well. You're going to see it in North America. There's going to be some at USL League 1 and League 2 level that will not continue. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. The lower you, the further you go down from the big clubs, the, the, further, the more interesting it gets in terms of the, the long-term impacts of this. Because, yeah, how many... Uh, obviously, something like this, you care more about the, the human loss and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. from a business perspective, uh, which then connects to the football business perspective, yeah, how many small businesses will this claim or how many small football clubs will will this claim and uh, yeah I, I don't think I think like all all industries it, there's going to be some significant and some sad losses in terms of in terms of football clubs in Scotland they they've 
already, and we talked on this in last week's show, the Highland League, the clubs all agreed, yep, Brora Rangers, they're 13 points clear, there's six games left, they only needed to win, I think, two more games, and they'd secured the title, so they were like, yep, it's their title, that's fair. But there's a lot of clubs and promotion battles, like in East Fife's League, I joked last week that it kind of sucked because we lost our last game before this stopped, which took us out of the promotion places. So if there's league reconstruction now, we do not go up if they put a certain number of teams up and, and move things about. But they made a statement this week to say that like we've badgered the board at East Fife for years. You need to spend more money. You need to, to not be so stingy with your money. And now they're saying this kind of prudent financial approach that they've had for the last few years has actually left them in a good state. They're not desperate for money right now. They could still do with some money coming in, but they're not in dire straits. So then it's made me think, well, you know what? I'd rather still have my club around than a club that had spent big to try and get promoted this year, and then I don't have a club next year. Yeah, and that's part of the the, the, the tension at, at a club at that level, right? Yeah. And I, I want to also give a big shout out to the East Five players as well. Not that they'll be listening to this, but they, on their own bat, decided amongst themselves that they were going to call supporters that were over the age of 80 just to see how they were doing, touching on them, see if they needed anything, get them groceries or whatever, and just to say hi. And the club didn't tell them to do that. They decided they wanted to do that themselves. And there's been lots of little stories you talked there about food bank donations from from clubs and stuff. There's a lot of clubs doing things like that. And it just shows you how important football is to local communities. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. Although one of the East Five players did tweet out that he had spent a very uncomfortable few minutes speaking to a Mr. John Anderson, who was very abusive to him, and it turned out it was one of his fellow players winding him up. <laughs> and the, the other player recorded it, and he said, we can't put it out because we'll both probably get sacked by the club for how the conversation went. <laughs> but last of all in this part, Let's move back to mainland Europe. Again, something not recommended right now. But we're going to go to, of all places, Belarus. So whilst all the other leagues in Europe are not playing just now, the Belarus Premier League now have, like, the whole world watching them. Because they're still going. They don't have a lot of cases of the coronavirus there right now. Their president's being very blasé about it in some ways. And you kind of wonder if they're going to get hit because they are not taking proactive measures. So the, the Belarus League is still going. There was a Minsk derby yesterday that had 3,000 fans packed in. I saw some photos from it and it was like incredible. And they're only two weeks into their season. They only started last weekend. So they're still going. And they've now sold broadcast deals to countries like Russia and India. I think Australia signed a deal with them. So, I mean, they're wanting to keep going now because the whole world of football is watching their players and watching their league. It is kind of crazy. It's like the thing, right? Like, yeah, that whole bunch of people around the world are really watching the Belarus shit. I know everyone's now an expert in Belarus football. Clubs are starting official English Twitter and there's Facebook pages. And I don't know how long things will go as normal there, but they've no plans as of right now to cancel anything. Everyone at, at the stadium that dealt with the public were given gloves and that's basically all the precautions that they've taken. Yeah, I, I assume all the dodgy uh, betting people 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's the only thing you can bet on now. I never thought of that. That's a good point. What I did do though is I, I worked my way through the league table to decide which oh, yeah. which team I wanted to support. I was going to go with Dynamo Breast because I'm a bit of a breast man myself. But in the end, Dynamo Breast are fifth. And I think they're also the defending champions, so I didn't want to go for them. So I'm going for sixth placed side, Sluts. Because who doesn't love sluts? <laughs> oh, Michael. Oh, my goodness. I was very disappointed, though, to find out it's actually pronounced slutsk. So yeah. I'm, there'll always be sluts to me. They do play in blue and white. So there's your Whitecaps connection and Scotland connection. They, they don't have any Canadian or Scottish players. I've checked out their roster. They've never been a high finisher in the league. I think ninth they've... They only reached the top flight in 2014. They'd always been lower league before that. So I'm, I'm liking them. I, I hear as well that, that sluts are very good at handling the ball. Their, their ball distribution is fantastic. They like to be on top. And I'm worried about like whether they're going to go down or not. What do you think? Somehow I knew you were going to ask that question. Hashtag oh. we are all sluts. I might, I might oh. call this episode we are all sluts. I've spent today checking out their website. There, there's a Facebook page that's been set up by some guys in Australia. They're working with the club. They're doing a GoFundMe for the club. And then they're also selling merchandise, one of which is a T-shirt that just has the badge on it. And it says, we are sluts. So obviously I'm ordering one of them. $28.95 Canadian for short-sleeved, $34.95 for long-sleeved. Just a shirt. I've not been able to find the jersey yet. The club are working to try and get merchandise available now because the the demand has been incredible. They were not expecting this at all. And obviously with a name like that, so many folk around the world are like, yay, let's support them. Oh, my. It, it's good to have some football to watch. I haven't worked out quite yet how I'm going to watch it or where it's streamed. I'm thinking a VPN is going to be of use and... I'll, I'll sort something out and I'll tweet it out so that everyone can enjoy our, our slutski. Yeah, everyone's going to love that. Yeah. Mon the sluts. Anyway, that is our roundup of the leagues. Obviously, we've not looked at North America yet, but we're going to look at that next. But before we do that, going to play some audio from Whitecap CEO Mark Panis. He did a, a video conference call this week with some media just talking about the impact that this has had on the Whitecaps, on MLS and some of the ways that they've been dealing with things as well. So let's hear now from Whitecaps CEO, Mark Panis. Mark, uh, I was wondering if you can sort of give us a, a nuts and bolts explanation of how this is impacting MLS financially since it's structured differently than most pro leagues uh, around the world and in MLS and how it has impacted the team's uh, revenue stream. Uh, JJ, there, I, I can give you a real quick snapshot of the nuts and bolts effect we would have um, if I get into too much detail uh, Regarding league finances, the commissioner has been given plenary power to level million-dollar fines USD against the uh, against the team and the owners. So I can't I can't go too deep. Um, what I would say to you though is, uh, um, and and they're asking us to 
there's so much scenario planning going on right now. They're asking everybody to kind of make sure we're tight in our communications internally and to not be too speculative. Because, again, I go back to accuracy is so important, right? And so the league is, is very much trying to say, let's set policies, let's run our, our scenarios, and then when, when, we, when we have this kind of unified front and this agreement, we can communicate that. So in the future, we'll be able to share much more with you. What I say today is that, obviously, when you're not playing games, when you're not broadcasting games, when you're not selling tickets, when you're not selling F&B, um, it's very, very difficult financially, right? Um, what we, we've made the decision, certainly today everyone is still fully employed uh, at the club, um, and, you know, it's a, it's a big goal of ours to, um, to protect our staff as much as possible uh, in this really difficult and unprecedented period. So, you know, on one hand, we say we have a big structural set of costs, and on the other hand, we don't have um, the normal set of revenue. And it's not just like that for us, right? I'm sure it's like that for, for many, many businesses um, in, uh, in Vancouver, in BC, in Canada, uh, within sports and within a whole host of other industries. Just as a, as a follow-up there, Mark, I, I read a report today that said uh, Real Salt Lake had actually laid off a large chunk of their staff and other teams in other leagues have talked about furloughing staff or reducing wages uh, for players and staff. Are either of those a concern or a possibility for the Whitecaps? You know, I was on a call this morning that had a number of teams on it, and Real Salt Lake was on that. It was an issue we were talking about. We're all trying to um, understand um, where we have commonality of issues and where everyone's market specifically is different. For example, in, uh, you know, the, the approach we, we would take in Canada would be different than one in the States, particularly around medical insurance and some of the social insurance like EI and so forth. So where we're talking through all that, I did not hear specifically from Real Salt Lake that they had, um, they had gone ahead and laid off staff already. So I'm not sure that that's accurate. Um, it, I'm not saying it didn't happen, it just didn't come up, and I'd be surprised given the nature of the conversation we were having. Different teams are taking different approaches right now. It is so fact-specific on, you know, some organizations own multiple teams. They own their own buildings. They have, um, some don't have academy systems. Some like ours have academy systems. So we're all just trying to work through it. I think an internal mantra we've had is let's, um, um, let's try not to make decisions three times if we only need to make them twice. And what does that mean? It means um, we had an initial set of planning that's been scrambled because of the health pandemic. Okay, can we be very thoughtful where we are now and, and try and look at the next set of steps that we're going to take, not in terms of, you know, what can we do for April 1, but what can we do, you know, across the coming weeks and months? Um, how can we put something in place that has optionality and flexibility? And, um, and how can we do it in a way that we can communicate it back internally to, as, uh, as Dr. Jim had noted earlier, that, uh, that can be accurate and, and kind of take the boil off uh, some of the anxiety that people may have. So we're working through all that in real time. I think I said to you guys on the 12th, man, there's just no playbook for this. There's just no right answers, right? Um, we're trying to do the best we can and, uh, and get to a good result. And, um, and you know, we're, we're going back and trying to fix stuff that we may not have got right um, uh, or, or, you know, that we did and we'd like to try again at, we're doing that on a daily basis, you know, internally. It's, it's ongoing. 
Now, the other question, Mark, it's kind of concerning the league, because obviously they're, they're giving dates, like there's a training moratorium to the 27th, and then the league's suspended till mid-May. Do you know the rationale behind why they're actually putting dates on it, and they're not just saying that everything is suspended indefinitely? You know, I haven't been privy to the conversations on that specific issue. I haven't. I think that, you know, being able to be accurate is obviously so important in what we're trying to do. And so I think they're making sure they're putting out accurate data uh, contrasted with in, indefinite, maybe um, uh, less clear data. But I haven't been privy to those conversations. I, I don't know the, the answer to this. I've kind of been out of touch. But um, I had heard a few days ago that uh, the team was still taking uh, seasons uh, ticket money out of uh, fans accounts like getting payments for that I was just wondering if that is the case and how that mechanism is going to work when we don't know how many games are going to be rescheduled or not it's a good question JJ uh, we did run the, the, the March 15th payment um, that was right at the very front end of this we did teams have subsequently done um, April 1 payments were on a time frame to April 15th we're working through all that right now um, and so um, uh, we're trying to be thoughtful about it and, um, and very considerate to our fan base. Um, and, um, um, and at the same time, we're still scheduled to play an entire season. So that's the balance, right? The, the schedule has been um, postponed while the league is suspended, uh, but we're supposed, to be, um, we're supposed to be back playing a full year. So we're pointing towards that. But I can tell you that um, it's one of the things that we're looking at very hard, um, or very closely, rather, is a better way to put it. We're looking at it very closely on, um, on how, you know, what our approach will be going forward. So with the idea that you're still going to play a full schedule, I imagine with the amount of data that we now have on the coronavirus and the trajectory, you'll have a better idea of when that might not be feasible. Uh, sure. So, so JJ, just to be completely candid with you, right? Like we're running our scenarios. The league is running it. The league has told all the teams specifically um, to be following uh, league guidance. And so, how this works is we typically we'll get on calls and we'll share. We'll talk it all through and we'll come out with a unified approach. But they're doing this to make sure that um, 26 different teams are communicating. 26 different messages plus a lead message. Um, so we, we're going um, to defer and fall in line on that. We think it's better, for, and, and to be very clear, we don't think that we're sidestepping anything. We think it's better for our fans to have one unified message going out across the league. So have there been discussions already looking at the different scenarios to see if the league returns in June, what that would look like, if it returns in July, what that would look like, August, September? I, I know you can't go into what the specific scenarios would be, but has it gone that far that you've looked at what a league would look like, what available dates there would be? Sure. I, 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 I'd answer that question with a question, which is, is there a business out there that isn't saying what happens if we can open the doors again in you know, May, June, July, August, later, whatever. Like, everybody's trying to do this type of contingency planning. We're no different. So we're trying, uh, for sure, to figure this out. And, uh, and, and I think Dr. Jim said it best. You know, what we were thinking a week ago has evolved so quickly. Um, 
relative to the situation that that it's just it's it's you know it's taxing trying to figure this out. But uh, but we're trying to. So yeah, we're trying to think through as many different possibilities as possible, and um, and how we would address them. And at the same time, you know, you can go down rabbit holes, right? Where you're just you're you get too lost in the what ifs. So um, it's really running a a, a a balance between planning for what we have in front of us right now, and also trying to look around the corner a little bit, see what might be coming. Whitecaps CEO Mark Panis there, talking about how the current shutdowns affected Whitecaps, MLS, and some of the ways that they are dealing with that. You can hear the full conference call that he had with Dr. Jim Bovard, the Whitecaps Chief Medical Officer, if you subscribe to our extra podcast, so check AFTN.ca for that. And who would have thought there was a conference call that mentioned East Fife, and I was not the person that brought the team up? I knew you were going to say that. I, I was very impressed. He has gone up even more in my estimation for not just name dropping East Five, but knowing that they played at Bayview. He knows he knows how to he knows how to get to you, Michael. Oh yeah, he's completely won me over now. He's my hero of the year when we do our end of season awards. Although we did that two weeks ago and I, I kinda of feel that they're still gonna be quite valid. That's true. Although not if you listen to Don Garber. He was on ESPN this week, still talking about they're going to be playing a full 34-game season, which I know the shutdown's only till mid-May. I worked out last week that they've got until probably about August to be able to to, to fit in a 34-game season by playing twice a week. It, it just feels crazy to be talking like that. And as I asked Mark Panis there, I would rather MLS just said, we're suspending things indefinitely and not to put an, an end date or, or or put a date off. We're just suspending it until May 11th or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the next thing they say, it'd be kind of surprising if they put another date on it. Like, like you said, it, it would make more sense to say, hey, things are all up, you know, off indefinitely until we you know, can better assess what, you know, what's happening in the rest of society around well, yeah, because, um, I mean, payments are still being taken, and until the league says yeah. there's not a 34-game season, then, I mean, I don't want to say rightly that clubs can still take it, because there's also kind of the moral aspect as well of if folk are struggling financially, should you maybe put it on hold? I don't think MLS clubs are like maybe UK clubs where they need this money to be coming in right now, although maybe some of them are. Maybe we don't know exactly what kind of perilous state some of these clubs are in and they need this money coming in to, to pay wages. Well, here's the thing. Like, Vancouver doesn't need it. You're right. Some clubs in MLS, sure. Well, well but that's not even true. Uh, sorry. No, me... Well, see, the, the owners are rich, but are the clubs? That's the question. Well, that, but that's the thing. The owners are the clubs. Like, this is the, the whole, like, to me, this is very similar to the whole you know, MLS versus some argument, right? You could say MLS is poor, but yeah, but some has all the money. Yeah. Right? But so when these owners are brought in, the MLS on purpose wanted owners with deep pockets so that they could go through, you know, difficult times in a footballing, you know, more, you know, not, not because of some crisis like this, but just in general, right? They wanted owners with deep That's why, that's why Greg Kerfoot wasn't kind of basically wasn't allowed be the only owner of the Whitecaps, he had to bring in other owners, right? This is my understanding. 
he had to bring in Mallet. He had to bring in Nash. He had to bring in the other guy because they wanted they wanted ownership groups with deep pockets that were going to stay in the communities and and to be able to survive if you know the club did poorly for a while or whatever. And so the the news that have, we've heard out of Salt Lake, and I've also heard out I believe it was Minnesota, uh, who have you know there's been quite a significant let going letting going of their staffs mm. is, is is pretty concerning because. Uh, well, I can't speak about Minnesota so much, but Salt Lake, for sure. My understanding there, the guy is like uh, quite wealthy, the owner of Salt or the primary person in Salt Lake is, is quite wealthy. Having talked to people in our organization in the past, he, this was one of the owners who, who said, hey, we should uh, to solve the, the charter flight thing. He said, hey, we should all buy our own, every team should buy their own plane <laughs> and then and just fly their teams around. And then he said, okay, if people aren't rich enough or don't want to spend that way, Let's buy regional plane. Yeah. So and, and whatever. So like, there's no shortage of. I don't think there's any shortage of, of money in the in the owner's pocketbook. And I'm not. I'm not saying oh the the club should bleed him dry or bleed the, the owners dry. No, but there's a moral responsibility, yeah. especially when expansion yeah. fee money is obscene and it's going to the owners. Well, exactly. So what, how much did they take in this year again? Was it is it three hundred each? Two fifty or two fifty or three hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, like that, those, this is where you, this is where the optics of, 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 of a, of a league like MLS, uh, this, this just does not look good, right? This, this, this is poor. Well, I mean, I, I tweeted out this week just in general that after all this is over, people will remember what businesses and what business yes. people acted honorably and yes. what ones didn't. And that will be remembered for a long time. Now, Pennis, I know you talked about it there, but he didn't say anything about that. What they're doing in, uh, down at Water Street, right? No, I mean, as of right now, everyone, as far as I know, they've not lost jobs. They've not paid people off. The longer this goes on, I mean, it could happen. And in some cases, folk might be, depend. It all, a lot depends on what stimulus packages different governments are putting right. in. Like for example, in the states, it could realistically be that they could lay the staff off and the government's going to pay all their wages. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So if that's the case, then maybe I'm wrong about Salt Lake. Yeah. But then, again, that's... You're then saying, oh, well, I'll just let the government pay it instead of me, whereas you've actually hired them. So, again, there's a whole kind of moral thing there of, like, should you let the government... Just because the government is saying we'll pay wages for people that have been properly let off, that's not an excuse just to let or lay off your staff because someone right. else can then pay their wages. And this is this is another time where Mark Panis will have an opportunity to differentiate himself from the previous regime, yeah. the Water Street, because their attitude in the past was, hey, we're the Whitecaps. You're lucky you get to work for us. We're a sports team. People want to work here, and so you're lucky to work here. In the past, my understanding for people who work there is they would they would pay you less because there was like this privilege to work for the Whitecaps work in the sports industry. Well, that's how I work at AFTN with you guys. <laughs> that's true. So I stopped you saying a thought. In his, under his leadership, Panis has the opportunity to show that they care about their workers and their care for their workers goes beyond simple, simply the, the dollars and cents. I, I do want to say, though, I think the Whitecaps have 
actually been fantastic in how they've yeah. handled this just now. Everything they've done that we've so seen. I mean, their daily updates that they do, once, sometimes yep. twice a day, it's like they don't have to do that. No one's making them do that. It's like the videos that they're doing to keep folk entertained, their social media games being on point. They've been, like, looking after fans well. There's been phone calls made. I, I, Someone that I know got a phone call from his ticket rep who just... Or I think it might have been an email from the ticket rep. He just wanted to check in and say hi. I mean, he'd already sold the tickets. There was no need to do that. And said, if you need anything, or even if you just want to talk about football, get in touch, happy to do that. So, yeah. I mean, stuff like that's fantastic. Yep. And I've been very impressed. But, I mean, they've something... Been, they've done a lot of things well with this, you're right. Yeah. They've, and, again, new regime. And it's like, I think... I know it's like, it sounds like we like we talk up Mark Panis so much in this show every week, but I think it's just because we've been so used to, like last year was a, a PR nightmare and how things were handled in the front office just in general was not good. And it's just been such a refreshing breath of fresh air, as I keep saying, that what, what might be normal for a normal business, all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's fantastic, I'm really blown away by it. But one thing, we talked about this just before we were recording, I've been thinking more about the MLS season and I see other folk have kind of tweeted about this this week or had discussions about this. I genuinely can't see football getting back played before July or August and it might even be later than that. One question which I've been kind of toying over in my mind is what happens if the US does open for business but the border is still closed, or there's still travel restrictions. What? How does that affect the the Canadian MLS teams? Some folk were debating, saying, "Well, they'd have to set up shop and play games out of the US." Well, that's not going to happen because you're going to have like immigration issues, and you're going to have visa issues potentially, and also just general operations of how can a Canadian front office person go and work in the US and, and stuff like that. What I think is more likely to happen is if MLS restarts, it could restart without the three Canadian MLS clubs and they just get frozen out for this year. Yeah, I've seen some talk about that too. And like, yeah, what do they do? Or do they, is it maybe temporary play in CPL or yeah, players? I, I don't CPL. think CPL would want them, but I think no. possibly loaning your Canadian players at least or distributing yeah. them amongst the, the eight Canadian teams would be the thing for me that would make the most sense. conversation coming when it's like yeah okay certain things can happen but but borders aren't open for example yeah and so then yeah, i can what does that genuinely see that with? happening i mean we've always joked and uh, not joke we were quite serious about how mls as a league doesn't really care about canada <laughs> yeah um, this, this could be just another example of how little or how much that's true it kind of makes me wish tfc had won the mls cup because if this happened you're like well you're you're defending champions aren't allowed to to now play in the league this year but I mean I, I genuinely could see this being a situation because I mean even you've got the situation in the states that right now there's different rules between the states and yeah. like even in Canada there's different rules between the provinces you've got Ontario and Quebec in lockdown and elsewhere's not and you do think that the thing that's going to come back to normality first is domestic travel and I mean I I'm happy to see the borders closed for a while until this really gets under control. And yeah, it's going to impact football. It's going to impact the white cap. So folk might have to get creative. 
well, you could just say to the three MLS teams, okay, play in the CPL, but the difference in budgets, I mean, you've got Lucas Cavallini alone that is more than what the, the budget is for for every single CPL team individually. Yeah, I mean, there are some barriers to that, right? To, to, or to the, these players being loaned out, or what does that look like? But uh, this is a conversation I think we'll have greater detail down the road. Yeah, I mean, all, pure, up, pure speculation really, just, just now. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a lot to think about, and it's such a fast-changing thing as well. I mean, things we've talked about two weeks ago now just seem so out of date, and that's why we're we're recording these shows still on a Sunday. They're not going out on the radio to the following Sunday because CITR needs 48 hours to be able to, to put everything together to get it programmed in the system. But recording something on Friday could mean by the Sunday anyway it's redundant. I know by next week it could still be redundant, but at least it keeps it fresh for, for when the podcast comes out. This is obviously a very long podcast that we've we've got for you this week. But that's it for this part. Just before we go, I just want to thank Zach for, for joining us all the way from his bunker in Abbotsford. Just just before you do go, Zach, let us know where people can find you online. Yeah, Twitter. Uh, I'm probably tweeting less these days than, than normal for some reason. We'll it's kind of good to stay off time. Twitter. Um, you can find me at Zachary AM. Pleasure as always to talk to you. I hope you and your family continue to stay safe and healthy and maybe we'll maybe we'll do one of these Zoom podcasts one day for YouTube or something. Oh, that would be fun. Okay, thanks so much, Zach. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Michael. We'll be back with part two of this week's episode where we're going to be hearing from a former white cap and a current white cap. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was Joy Division with isolation from their seminal 1980 album, Closer. And I was joking with one of my, my friends back in Scotland, Mark, who is part of the band 13 Tombs, who were our October Artists of the Month. And he was saying that he wonders how many kind of punk bands or metal bands are going to come out of this crisis called COVID-19. I'm just wondering how many bands are actually going to be covering stuff like Joy Division's Isolation, because it really sets the mood. It's kind of that downbeat kind of song, so it makes a lot of sense, I think, for a lot of people to cover that just now. 
Hopefully everyone is dealing with their social distancing and their self-isolation okay just now. We're here at AFTN to try and help you get through that isolation just a little bit better with a little bit of entertainment for you both here on the podcast and on the site AFTN.ca. And I threw a question out on Twitter this week just asking Whitecaps fans if you could be quarantined with one Whitecaps player, past or present, who would it be and why? Now for me, I would go with Greg Clausura, partly because of the medical aspect. If anyone remembers Greg, he was a trained and qualified doctor, but also he was a really fun guy to hang out with. He was always a good laugh at training, and I think he'd be very entertaining during a time like this. So I want to read through some of the tweets that we got just now, and we got an absolutely fantastic response to this one. So I'm going to try and go through as many of them as I can. AFTN writer Jake McGrail said Alfonso Davies, just so that he can become TikTok famous. Jerky21, he said Christian Teixeira, because he'd leave the most space. Definitely would. Probably eat less food as well, so that's also a good thing. My fellow TSS and UBC commentator Gideon Hill said Jaden Merritt, always a nice guy to talk to. And it kind of really depends what you're looking for in answer to this question. But a lot of people did go with people that they'd actually want to spend time with as opposed to maybe being useful in one regard or another. And that is important because if you're cooped up with someone for 14 days, you want to make sure that you can get on with them and also that they're a lot of fun. And of course, we didn't specify Whitecaps MLS players. So hello at Backsteffer and Ben Cooper Whitecats at Ghost Beers. They both said Christine Sinclair, because she's the greatest of all time. Both of them using a goat emoji as well. AFTN writer Chris Corrigan, Salish C86. Eric Hasley for me. Actually, ping him and see if he would hang with us. Also, Jordan Harvey is always good for a chat, as is Kai Kamara, Gershon Kofi. I'd also want to be part of David Usted's book club. Octavio Rivera would be great to be quarantined with because you'd never see him. Harsh, but fair Chris. Oz Sweeney said Eric Hasley or Tim Parker and Woody. That's Tim Parker's lovely dog. Fully aroused said Andy O'Brien for somebody to drink with. And that got a fantastic response. Lots of people liked that. Marty McDermott, the Whitecaps kit man, said he would join him for that drink. Andy O'Brien himself replied with the, like, crying emoji faces and Joe Cannon liked that. And then I got chatting with Andy and I mentioned it had been a long time since we caught up for a chat. So we're going to get Andy on the show next week, hopefully, as well. And we'll just kind of catch up with him and have a nice chat with him about time with the Whitecaps and his career and what he's been doing since. So everyone that did like that, you can hang with Andy O'Brien next week. Brian, at Suarez YVR, he said Nigel Rio Coker. Open a bottle of rum and no one leaves until it is finished. But I'm not walking him home. I tell you what, that would get really messy that night, I think. Nigel Rio Coker and a bottle of rum. Phil McCracken said Kenny Miller. He must have some great Celtic and Rangers stories. Angus Walker said, has to be Pamudu Ka, as long as he brings his hoverboard, because that would be great fun entertainment for you. Joe Deasy? AFTN writer and, and preview podcast host. He just said, Ali Adnan, best player. Imagine if you annoyed him though, how angry he'd get and you're in a small space then to deal with that. Her journalist said, Jay Demerit, because he'd have the best booze. The villager, he wants a drink of another kind, so he picked Freddie Montero. 
He'd enjoy sharing a cup of his Santo coffee while listening to stories throughout his broad career. Also sharing a similar view in faith and religion, I think it would be interesting to listen and learn from his own walk with faith. Caleb Wilkins said Joaquin Ardiez, for obvious reasons. I take that mostly as protection, because I don't think you'd want to mess with him. If anyone tried to break in to get your toilet paper or hand sanitizer, I think he'd take care of them. Tyler Green said Johnny Leathers, John Thorrington or Jay Nolly. Chris Dale said that was a good call from Tyler and I always enjoyed chatting with Jay Nolly and he was always such a nice guy to chat and it was great to catch up with him again a couple of years ago at the Celebrity Alumni Game that they had at BC Place. Patrick Hyde said Jordan Harvey and his family. Rod Hodkinson said Johnny Leathers because if that virus takes a run at me, he'll break his leg. Scarfs up YVR, he said Joe Cannon. I feel that guys like that's got some stories to tell. Also, so many questions about that red card. Hoping I haven't missed anyone out there. But while we're on the subjects of tweets, I just want to read this last one from a guy that we mentioned there, Rod Hodkinson, who sent a wonderful tweet out saying, When we get a return to football in Vancouver... I will be donating my Whitecaps FC season tickets to the incredible healthcare workers and community frontline heroes. I ask you to join me. Let's pick a game and fill BC Place with those who work so tirelessly for all of us. Beautiful sentiments, Rob, and if you want to take part in that, get in touch with the club. Let's get that going. I just think that's a beautiful thing to try and do. So there weren't actually many current Whitecaps players mentioned in that list. Ali Adnan, of course, best player. He was in there. Freddy Montero got a mention as well. Trying to think of what current players I wouldn't mind being quarantined with. Max Cripo I always enjoy talking to, so I mean that would be a good one. Andy Rose as well is another guy that's always a a good person to chat with. And for me, that's an important part. You want to have somebody that you can just sit down and chew the fat with for hours on end. And it is obviously going to be hard for all the players just now to, to be sort of quarantined, to be isolated as we... Chatted a little bit about in the first part of the show and heard from Mark Panis and Dr. Jim Bovard. It's like the the club have introduced a number of things to try and keep the club connected, keep the players connected. They've got their own social WhatsApp groups. I mean, they're keeping in touch with each other, but it's a tough time, especially for for maybe some of the young guys that are just new to the city, like Ranko and Bikel and Owusu and... You're going to have guys that's on their own with no family around them. One guy that that is not the case for is Whitecap striker Lucas Cavallini. Thankfully, his wife and three children are with him just now. Of course, having three children running around at this time is both a blessing and a curse. Nice to have your family around you, but I'm pretty sure that's driving him crazy just now, especially since his oldest child is only kindergarten age. But I got a chance to catch up with Lucas this week just to... See how he's finding the the whole lockdown, how him and his family are coping in the current crisis, and to chat a little bit about football as well. So let's hear now from El Tank. It's Lucas Cavallini. So, Lucas, I first thing to ask you is like, how are are yourself and and your family doing at, at this time? Oh, we're doing good. Um, obviously, we're we're obeying the rules. I uh, was staying in there. You know, since, uh, I have a lot of like 
I have a big backyard and stuff like that, you know. Uh, when it's night and the sun's out, we like to get outside a bit, get the fresh air. You know, just, just try and enjoy, enjoy things, you know. Try to keep the kids busy as well. And uh, we try to keep fit as well. So uh, anything you just do at home. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. It's like, you've obviously got a, a, a couple of young children. How how do you keep them busy at a time like this? Yeah, well, you know, here you have to be, you have to be their, their parent, their teacher, their, I don't know, gymnastics teacher, everything. You have to be <laughs> all those roles in one. So, <laughs> yeah, we try to keep them busy, you know. There's a lot of, I had to order a lot of stuff on Amazon. <laughs> just to keep them busy, like maybe maybe a bicycle or stuff like that, you know, scooters. Yeah. Uh, just so they can be outdoors as well, because I said, I have I have space for them to be, and and better to be at home than, than going now. Well, now we can't be really outside, like, in public areas, so it's better just to stick at home and, you know, have fun. Uh, I try to keep them busy, a lot of activities, and... And uh, not only just having fun, but like, you know, uh, well, my oldest uh, is in kindergarten, so obviously she's using a lot of school now, and uh, I'm just trying to help her with uh, her, her reading and writing and stuff like that. Me and my wife are, are, are doing that, so, uh, you know, you don't want to get too far behind because my mother's missing school and stuff like that, but uh, everything's good. And I mean, it's, you're lucky because you, you're here with, with your family, or at least your wife and your children, but obviously you've got family elsewhere in Canada, and you're going to have, like, friends in, in South America. Are you keeping in touch with them? Has it proved kind of a little bit difficult to, to get updates as to what's happening in those areas? Yeah, you know, every, every country is uh, in a different situation. You know, they're, obviously they have their own laws, they have their... They're different types of lifestyles and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, Canada, you know, Canada is a really good country to live in. Uh, they they're doing what it takes to to get past this, this situation. But you know, I've I've been speaking to the friends, the old teammates um, that, that that are living in other countries, and you know, it's it's not the same as it is as it is here. Like the people don't don't respect the don't respect the um, I guess the social distancing and uh, and staying in their homes. It's, it's not like here at all, but, uh, you know, eventually things are going to get worse and, I don't know, they, they have to be more respectful and, and obey what they're, they're trying to tell us on the, on the TVs. And, uh, here, it hasn't got better either, but, uh, but by staying indoors and respecting what they have told us to do, uh, I think, Eventually, things will start to get better, but we can't tell when or, or how long. But you know, you just gotta you just gotta respect things, you know. Yeah, and I mean the thing I guess as well for you is I mean. South America and like Uruguay, it's been your home for for so long, and you you haven't been in Canada since you were sixteen. Is it weird, kind of, being back here? And like so early as to moving back, because you you still I guess got to get used to like the healthcare system here compared to Uruguay and all all that kind of stuff. Has it been a little bit of an adjustment for you? Oh, obviously coming here it's it's better. There's those types of situations. Obviously, the health system in Canada is way better than anywhere else where I lived. That 
I'm not saying that they were bad health scares. It's just, you know, Canada. I always loved their health system and how they treat us. And obviously the club has really provided us with with everything. And if you have any doubts or any concerns, like we just we have somebody to, to speak to and uh, you can help us out right away. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know? Canada is Canada, obviously. That's why we're a first world country, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, as a footballer, you're a social bunt. It's a social game. You're used to being around teammates all the time and training with them during the day and then travelling with them to, to games and, and stuff like that. All that, the isolation, how how has that kind of been for you personally? Is it Has that been a little bit difficult to get used to? No, no, not at all. Uh, you know, it, it's a good group. I'm, I'm happy with the with the group we have here in Vancouver. Obviously, I knew a lot of, of guys before I came here. So, um, and, you know, a lot of uh, Spanish, Spanish community, the big Spanish community in the White Caps as well. So yeah. Those, those boys try to get together. So, so, you know, I'm used to that. I'm used to that kind of culture as well. So it, it, it's easy. It's easy for me to adapt here. And, uh, and no, nothing changed at all. I mean, it's like football. We're doing what we love, and nothing has to change at all. And the the club, uh, I, I was on a conference call yesterday with with Mark Panis, and he was explaining everything that the club's doing just now. There's lots of Zoom video conferences, and you're you're getting your kind of strength and conditioning workouts by by video, and you're you're having club calls and. Mark's checking in on the players on a regular basis as well. Has that really helped having all this just so you've still got the contact with all these guys? Yeah, um, the club the club has really behaved well with us. Like, they're providing us with what we need in order to surpass this situation. And um, obviously not a lot of guys, the majority of the guys don't have enough equipment here. Uh, equipment in their houses and stuff like that and being able to train properly but you know the club has been able to, to provide us with those resources things like that are going to start to get better for us uh, we're going to be able to, to to be able to train better and maybe try, try to surpass this situation even even better and what are, what are you doing to, to kind of keep keep fit yourself just now uh, I, I have I have a lot of equipment here in the house uh, not only I like to train, but my wife as well is a fit freak. So oh. <laughs> we, 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 a lot, we invest in a lot of we, we invest in a lot of fitness equipment. So obviously we have more arrivals this week. So uh, I'm trying to get a personal home gym in the house. So oh. I have no problems with that. Oh, that's fantastic. And then are you, have you been keeping in, in touch with, with the teammates a lot? Is there kind of like lots of group chats and, and stuff like that? It's such a, a unique situation. No one was obviously expecting anything like this to happen. But t- turning attention to 
to the season so far, the, the team, the performance down in LA, I think it, it had so many people excited for, for what might lie ahead for this team. Obviously frustrated now that, that you've got this big break, but at the same time, it's going to give the club a chance to maybe get some of the players that weren't fully fit up to speed or guys that were injured back from injury. So the feeling must be that whenever MLS does return, the team's actually going to be in a really strong position to challenge now this year. And in the last game we played, there was, was something positive. For him. You know, we're going into this break right now. Uh, like with a heads up, and, and you know that we have guys coming back from injury, you know, you know that uh, you have the time to be able to to, to to improve on things that you you lack or you need it. You uh, see it of starting at the start of the season, so it, it's a good time, you know, to, to get a to, to get a refresh and you know just start to improve on things you need. For for you yourself, uh, how how have you felt that you've adjusted to MLS? How how has your own season, do you think, gone so far? I know it's only two games, um, but I mean, how how have you felt comfortable playing in the league? No, it's, you know, it's just sad. Uh, I can't really say nothing. Uh, obviously, um, from this happening now, it's, it's kind of sucks, you know. Especially the last game. The last game was really was really positive. Not only for me, but for the team as well, you know. I thought that it was the uh, it was the type of team we were from preseason. We we showed that like this year you know, the White Cups are I know jokes. So obviously the first game the first game of the season was was not was not a really good game. Uh yeah, it wasn't something it was it wasn't us in general. Um I don't know, maybe it was just you know, new team. Everybody was just nervous, anxious. I don't know, you know, all those mixed feelings together. But we we managed to surpass that and, and step into our second game, which is which is not an easy game at all. Going to Los Angeles, they the Galaxy. You know, they have their own party, so they're 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 superstars. And we were we were able to to cope with that, and you know, we gave a positive result. And, and you know, I was happy. I was happy at the end of the game, even though, even though I had a chance to to score an easy goal. But you know, uh, what you gonna do? At the end of the day, it's the team that matters more. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention the penalty mess, and it's like I guess it's like all you've got all these weeks now to to play that over in your head. But go, just last thing, just looking at at Canada. Uh, obviously, the games were were called off. That was meant to be in Victoria which might make, obviously no one really knows what's going to happen right now, but it does look like the hex might not be within grasping distance. So Canada's now going to have a very, very tough job to make it to the next World Cup. But is that a kind of challenge as well that you're really looking forward to, like going and maybe trying to do it the hard way? We're just willing to do what it takes in order to, to make the World Cup, you know? If we have to... If you have to go through hell, we'll go through hell, you know what I mean? Obviously, they didn't put us in a proper, in a, in a comfortable situation right now. Eventually, things will, things will settle and we'll be able to, we'll be able to, to manage whatever, whatever they bring to us. That's bright. Thanks so much, Lucas. And yeah, hopefully see you on the pitch soon. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Hopefully everything goes well. 
Marcus Cavallini there, making good use of his time just now during this isolation and quarantine period, but just itching to get back on the pitch, I'm sure. And I wrote an article which was on MLS Soccer and also the Whitecaps website coming out of that interview. And I think it, it comes across very much just how glad he is to be in Canada at this time. Paying tribute to the healthcare work in the healthcare system here, which is fantastic. And I've got to say, I've been here since 2007 and there have been times where I maybe don't feel that, that Canada is my home or I don't feel that settled in Vancouver. I've, I've never really been able to put my finger on exactly why because I've got a great life here, I've got some good friends, there's the football community and everything is, is wonderful but there's always been a part of me that has just never felt like like this is my home. And I've always kind of been in two minds whether I want to spend the rest of my days here or, or go back to Scotland. And then the more I've gone back to Scotland in recent years, I, I've kind of thought to myself, I don't know, Scotland doesn't really feel like home for me anymore either. So I, I don't know that I would go over there. And then I was back at the end of January, start of February, and again, just seeing how austerity has kind of hit there and just all the, the health cuts and cuts to other services and people just seem so miserable. And I talk to my friends and they're all like, oh, you definitely don't want to come back and, and live here. But but it's your home and you feel, well, part, part of you really does want to. But then a crisis like this happens and you see how Canada have dealt with it. You see how the Canadian people on the whole have dealt with it. And then you look at the idiots that's run the UK government and just the shambles that everything has been over there. And I've got to say, I've never, ever, in my 13 years of living in Canada, been more grateful that I live in this wonderful country right now. And Luis Cavallini certainly feels the same. He'd been playing his football in Mexico and Uruguay before that. And I mean, Mexico itself hasn't been too badly hit just now. But there's a lot of countries in Central and South America that, that have been hit just now or, or the crisis is growing there and the numbers are growing there. One of those countries is Costa Rica where they've been having kind of rolling blackouts and internet's been going down, hospitals are losing power and just social order has broken down as well because there's a lot of poverty there, folk are struggling with, with getting food and work and it's another situation that when you read things like that it just makes you so grateful that you are living in a country like this and of course a, a former Whitecaps player that did used to live here now living in Cincinnati from Costa Rica is Kendall Waston and FC Cincinnati put Kendall and Greg Garza up on a video conference call on Friday morning and it was a very enjoyable chat. I had the, the pleasure of being on that call, catching up with Kendall. First time I've actually caught up with him since he left Vancouver at the end of the 2018 season. So I want to bring you a little bit of that call just now. Mostly it's the, the questions which I asked Kendall and some others as well, like Pat Brennan, Manuel Veth, Tyler Snapes. But I've also included a, a couple of Greg Garza's questions and, and answers in there as well. And I, I would have brought you more from Garza because I, I find the whole thing fascinating. And we might bring you that either maybe in an extra podcast or, or a future show as well. But I thought the, the vast majority of our audience are more going to want to hear from Kendall. We've got a packed show, which is already overrunning, and we're only in part two. 
So just going to bring the chat with Kendall. We, we talked about the situation in Costa Rica, how he's coping just now, keeping fit and just his mental health of him and the fellow players and just what the league might look like when it comes back and when they think that might happen. So let's hear now from FC Cincinnati's Kendall Waston. When we spoke to Gary Walker uh, earlier this week, one of the things that he mentioned, one of the challenges that the whole team, as well as the performance staff, is facing right now is that it's just really hard, if not impossible, to mimic uh, certain things, such as soccer-specific movements and the the intensity of even a a drill and training, let alone a match environment. Is there anything, Greg and Kendall, that you can do to get close to that kind of intensity, those kinds of sharp movements? To be honest, it is is never going to be the same because we are not having the possibilities to be on the field, you know, with a ball and, and, and sprinting and making different type of movements that we usually do on the field. But we try to to make different things, different drills that Gary and us and us, how Greg says, they send us on the emails because um, we have cleared that as soon all of this situation get over, the season going to come very quickly. We're going to have a lot of games during the week. So everybody has to be like the shoppers possible to, to get in just straight on it. And, and yeah, it's, it's never going to be the same. Hi there, Kendall. Greetings from Vancouver. It's a, a long time no speak, but... Wanted to first of all really ask you about what the situation is like back in Costa Rica. Having a look, the country doesn't seem too badly affected by it just now. But I know there's been some blackouts and rolling blackouts in some areas of Central America. How easy has it been for you to keep in touch with people back home? Hello, my friend. Well, uh, in Costa Rica, the thing is not easy right now because... Well, every day uh, I keep in touch with my family and obviously with my wife, family as well. And we have a lot of friends. So, like, every single day, that thing is, is getting more complicated. Like, for example, today we hear some news about some bad situation going on because there's a lot of people or families um, with no work because they have their jobs, they have um, canceled their contracts or whatever. And now there's a lot of people without no no money because a lot of them just work day by day, you know, to gain their money. So there is now some situations in the street that robberies or stealing things. So all of this situation is getting more complicated. And my second question, again, kind of on the communication aspect. Obviously, you're one of the leaders of the team there in Cincinnati. We were having discussions here in, in Vancouver the other day about making sure that the mental health of the players is really good. Mm-hmm. What, what have the kind of senior players been doing to make sure that some of the young guys are, are handling this situation okay? Well, they, the, the youngest guys, they know they can come with us. And any issue that we can help them um, to go through, we're going to help them for sure. That is, that is no doubt. And I think, well, we have a group chat where we make jokes, we, we can talk about any single thing. And I think, like, we have a great chemistry with, with 
you want you just want to be close with your family and know that everybody's okay so until now well um i think nothing as bad as is going on with none of them and, and hopefully hopefully all of this situation can, can finish soon um kendall you touched on this a moment ago um with kind of some of the younger guys but i'd like to ask both you and greg is it possible to stay close to the team and specifically yo right now and kind of how frequently do you get to touch base with the rest of the squad well like i said um we have a lot the group chats so there every single day sometimes we are making jokes or sending funny pictures you know just to have a, a little laugh and with johan and all the staff they send us emails as soon as they think like uh, we have to make some different things of training or either like personal situation if we have any issue they can help us so i think we have a, a great communication um even though that we have a long distance away you're saying when are things going to come back at what point do you guys think things back and do you believe there is still going to be a full season when things do come back. And this is a question for both of you. Who goes, who goes, who goes? <laughs> I got it first, Greg. <laughs> well, I think, obviously, like, this is depending what the league is going to decide at the end, you know. But what I assume is that as soon we get back to competition, everything going to be as fast as possible. I don't think we're going to have one game per week, like Sunday to Sunday. You know, we're going to have at least minimum two games during the week. So um, everybody, as how Greg said, everybody has to be as sharp as possible to, to get in as competition and try to don't get injured, injured to, to finish well the season because now everything is going to be so fast. Greg. Yeah, no, I'll... I'll touch I'll touch base on that. Yeah, I think I think for us right now it's 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 a week to week thing, you know, uh, of getting uh, messages from the the PA, the Players Association, of of just um, you know every week is a new 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 bunch of information for all of us, and we're just trying to to, to cope with it as as best we can. You know, you you don't want to be stuck in limbo to where you're thinking, okay, every week this is going to be the week. You just kind of have to be very patient with it. Right now, I think as we have all been and. Just kind of uh, once once that call is there for us to be back in training and that for when the season is to start again, then then hopefully all of us will be ready. I'm not sure. I don't think any of us know uh, when when that time frame will be. I was chatting with Mark DeSantos here in Vancouver yesterday, and we were talking about what the preseason might look like for the guys once things do get back to normal. He thinks that the league might mandate that it's going to be at least three weeks pre-season and then obviously trying to sort things out after that. But as players, how long do you think you would physically need to get at your peak once the league does start to get back to playing? Well, I think with two weeks would be great. I don't want more pre-season, my friend. <laughs> with two weeks, I think it's awesome. If we were, if we were playing in Mexico, I think we'd had two weeks a year uh, because of the two seasons. So, I mean, some, some off-seasons in Mexico, you have five days uh, before you start the preseason again, and you have a week before the season starts. So, um, you know, I mean, I think uh, the, less, the least amount 
amount of time possible, but just enough for us to, to at least, like you said, reach our peak. Um, hate to ask now that we've gotten so far away from it, but back to the group chat, um, you guys said that you like to laugh and send funny pictures, and I guess, um, is there anybody in particular who is the clear-cut runaway making you guys laugh the hardest right now? I think Greg is laughing because he knows Dan's going to say it's Nick. Obviously it's Nick. Nick, Nick is that guy that is always putting jokes and funny things on, on the chat, but we're having a, a great time. I think Nick is probably the, the class clown. And I think the most made fun of is probably Andrew Gutman, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some bully. Poor fella, poor fella, yes. <laughs> poor fella on that group chat. I'm, I'm, I'm sad he's, I'm a bit worried if that guy is living <laughs> by himself right now. <laughs> Wondered, wondered whatever became of me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Kendall Watson there, and it was great to catch up with the big man again. Wish him and his family all the very best in Cincinnati. Hope they stay safe, well, and healthy, and also to all his family and friends that are down in Costa Rica as well. I was looking forward to catching up with Kendall and Spencer Ritchie and some of the other Cincinnati guys with White Cats Connections when they were through here at the start of July, meant to be playing at BC Place on July 4th. Could still happen. The longer that this goes on, though, you do have to feel that when games get cut, it's going to be the, the games between East and Western teams, so I'm not sure that that will happen. Not sure if we'll even be back playing by July 4th. As Kendall and Greg talked about there, there's just so many ifs and whats and whens and everything that's just swirling around just now. And I really don't think we're going to get many answers on the footballing side anytime soon either. But we're going to be continuing our football talk in part three when I catch up with Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantos. And we'll be back with that and Wavelength after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kripo from the Vancouver Whitecaps and you're listening to the EFTN Show. Outside's always sunny, but always find the shadow of melancholy. Do you think I'll make the top score? Or neither do I. At last, we agree on something. Loneliness descends, clouding you from view. Keep your head up and remember, ain't just you, you. Oh no. We're all in this together. Come on, come on, sing. Welcome back. That was These Animal Men, an English indie, I was going to say Britpop band from 1994. They kind of were officially part of the new wave of New Wave. Loved this band, had a few albums out, had a quite a big kind of musical progression over the course of their short career as well, kind of experimenting a little bit with kind of electronic uh, guitar stuff by the end of it. But their early days, their early albums, 
was very guitar driven. It was fantastic stuff. That was a song from their This Is The Sound Of Youth CD single. The third track on that single called Hooligan's Progress. And one of the things I've been doing in this free time that that we have just now is I've decided to kind of sort through all my CD singles that I've got. Because I've been a, a big musical collector over the years. I've got like thousands of vinyl stuff and CDs as well. And I've got a huge collection of CD singles that I brought over from Scotland with me when I moved over. And on the whole, most of them have basically just sat in some boxes and some cupboards and just in some racks since I got over. So I thought, you know what? Let's do this Marie Kondo stuff, sort through it, see what gives me joy, see what I want to keep, get rid of some of them. Got a, a couple of takers for the, the stuff I want to get rid of and it's going to go to a good home. So So that's good to know. It's been tough though because I'm going through it and although I haven't listened to them for years, I'm like, oh, I want to keep that, I want to keep that. Oh, this, this is a good one, I, I love this one. So I've been working my way through them and playing them. For some weird reason, I've started backwards, so I started from Z going up to A. So I've got quite a few of these animal singles from over the years and the good thing about it is it's there's been some great songs on it, not even just the A sides but some of the B sides as well that I'm thinking, oh I've got to just play these in, in some future shows and some of them, the lyrics actually proved to be very, very apt and that one there from These Animal Men is certainly one of those because we are all in this together. I was drawn to it initially of course because it was called Hooligan's Progress not actually a song about football hooligans. Just the lead singer of the band was called Hooligan. That was his nickname. But I thought it's also very fitting as well because sadly, this is the last week of Football Violence Awareness Month here on AFTN. Don't worry, it'll be back soon. We could keep it going if you want. I've got enough songs to last me quite a a, a few months into this. But we'll save those for a future time, future years. But we've got one song to go this month, and we're going back again to 1996, the album I've talked about in the last couple of shows, Trouble on the Terraces, 16 Football Anthems, released in 1996, on vinyl only. It came out two years later on CD with a a couple of extra tracks, and then titled 18 Classic Football Anthems. But the song we're going to play for you tonight by a band called The Warriors and it was the the last track on the original vinyl album. So it's the eighth track on side B. This is Warriors Come Out to Play.
Come Out to Play by the Warriors there from 1996 and the Trouble on the Terraces 16 Classic Football Anthems vinyl album. Hope you've enjoyed Football Violence Awareness Month this month. The band, the Warriors there, named obviously after one of my favourite films of all time, The Warriors. Absolutely iconic film, definitely in one of my top five films of all time. It's right up there, somewhat bizarrely, considering the nature of the two films, with Willy Wonka and The Chocolate Factory. But it does make you wonder, what are all the football hooligans doing these days? I mean, they, they can't get out to have their fights. How are they releasing their anger? Actually, maybe let's not think about that too much, but, yep, Football Violence Awareness Month will be back soon. As much as I, I kind of joke about the month and, and football violence and hooliganism and stuff like that, one thing that you can say... On the whole, in Canadian football, is a lot of the rivalries, most of the rivalries, are are based on friendship, good-natured ribbon, and a lot of just good banter. Sometimes it can boil over, as we've seen with some TFC fans over the years, but on the whole, it it is very good-natured. Some of that, yeah, it's going to be just the the Canadian-friendly nature of the, the population, but also as well, you have got the issue that In previous years, there's not really been a lot of rival football teams to kind of get all these passions up. Things are changing now, though, because we've got more teams coming into the football landscape. Rivalries are getting built. You've got Ontario derbies now in the CPL. Hopefully when Saskatchewan get a team into the CPL in 2021, you're going to have that Prairie rivalry. And a lot of folk have been talking that there could even be two teams eventually in, in Saskatchewan in Saskatoon and Regina, I mean, that's going to be fantastic as well. Could we see a Quebec City and Montreal rivalry down the line? Could we get a Nova Scotia and New Brunswick rivalry going? In BC, can Pacific possibly get through in the the Canadian Championship to face the Whitecaps at some point? You've had on the lower scale the, the Great Victoria Highlanders and TSS Rovers rivalries. Of course, one of the best rivalries in the Canadian Premier League right now is the Alberta one, Al Classico. Cavalry FC, FC Edmonton, something that just has not existed before. FC Edmonton went through so much time when they were in the NASL where initially they had their rivalry with Ottawa, but basically they were playing American teams. It was only in the Canadian Championship when they came up against the likes of the Whitecaps that they got that Canadian rivalry. And we're actually going to be talking about FC Edmonton in in quite a lot of depth in parts four and five of this week's show. When we're joined on the phone by FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Paulus. Now back in the day, when the Eddies were in the old NASL, most of their games were against American teams with their only Canadian rivalry at one point before they actually pulled out of the, the, the NASL to, to join the USL was with the Ottawa Fury. And one of the head coaches of the Fury during that time was Vancouver Whitecaps' very own Mark DeSantos. I had a great chat with Mark this week, which we're going to bring you part of this week and part of in next week's show. Just looking at a whole host of things, really. Now, I've talked about it in other shows. Football, it is by nature a social sport for fans, for players, for people that work within the game. Journalists, media, I mean, we're used to going and and meeting our fellow journalists at training, having a, a good chin wag and speaking to the players and I mean all that is suddenly taken away from you when you're a footballer you've got your set routine you get up in the morning eat whatever you want to eat 
go to the training facility, get your plan for the day, get on the pitch, do your workout, your swim, your weights, whatever, get your physio, eat a little bit more, go back, see your family. It's a standard routine and humans are just used to having routine and often when routine is taken from your life, that is when things kind of get difficult and I think that is something that not just in football circles, but in general, that is what a lot of people are, are perhaps struggling a little bit with just now because they just don't have the routine that, that they have been used to having. And when you're a football manager as well, again, you have those set routines. Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis is no different. He's a guy, I was going to say much like myself, but obviously to a much greater scale, whose life revolves around football. It revolves around the game whether he is preparing for the game that's coming up, whether he's scouting players, whether he's analysing games. From previous chats that I've had with Mark, his life revolves around football. He watches, as he told us before, a couple of games a day. I don't know how many games in a week. I can't remember how many games it was that he said he watched. So all of a sudden, that is taken away from you. So what do you do? So what is a day in the life of a football manager like in a time like this? Well, that was one of the things... I got a chance to, to chat with Mark about this week. So we looked at that. We also looked at the Whitecaps season so far, what might lie in store for the future, and just how this break is actually quite beneficial to the Whitecaps. Let's hear now from MDS. We're trying to keep things on the show still to focus on football because obviously no one, it's wall-to-wall stuff right now on the news to to do with the the virus that we want to kind of have a little bit of normality and talk a little bit about kind of football things but I guess they have to start off by really asking about it and it's like how how are you and your family doing and and coping with all this just now? We're good, so we've been apart now for about 10 days uh, they went to Montreal to spend the March break, and they oh. were supposed to come back today, but um, they got a little bit delayed, and because of the virus and everything in the airport, they're just going to come back on April 4th. Right. Uh, so I've been alone here, so it's a little bit more difficult. I try to have a similar pattern every day, so... I wait. We're good. Me, my kids, my family are good. Me being alone, I have a pattern. Every day I try to, to, to do pretty much the same thing. I wake up in the morning, I have a coffee, I answer emails. I, um, I work a little bit. What I'm doing is kind of revisiting our model of play, thinking about how our team could look when everybody's healthy. Um, our approach tactically when everybody's healthy. Then I watch some games that are teams that that inspire what we want to do uh, and what we want to be about uh, when we'll get back to work. Um, then at the late of the afternoon, late in the afternoon, I go for a workout, and at night I try to learn how to cook because I'm alone and. <laughs> I, I make a few calls to people that help me become a better cook, and next day is the same day, and I go on like that. Um, we've been in touch with the players a lot, and that's how we've been doing. Uh, 
that's fantastic. I, I was having a, a discussion with my wife actually last night about it would be good if everyone kind of came out of this a little bit in a better position than than they went into it, as in learning skills and and like putting putting this time to, to to good use. And it certainly sounds like you're looking to do that. Yeah, like one of the things I've always played guitar with is one of my hobbies, and I always played guitar, and now for some years because of being so busy with coaching and not having the ability to, to have a lot of time for myself, I left my guitar aside, but now I, take it, I took it off and I started to play more and I became a better cook also. So uh, there's a lot of positive values for me. I'm definitely going to come out of this as at least a better cook. What kind of things are you learning to cook? Is it the basics? Are you just starting off? No, like I, I have a family that is a friend of mine here in Vancouver. And um, my friend's name is Aldo and big traditional Italian family. And his wife is, uh, his wife's name is Eleanor. And Eleanor is a typical top Italian cook when you go there. You feel you're going to Italy and you you dive into like a little town in Italy. And uh, she's teaching me all the little details about Italian cuisine. So my focus right now is only Italian cuisine. We have to go one step at a time here. I can't go from Italian to Chinese to Portuguese. <laughs> so my, my focus now is only in Italian cuisine. And uh, it's been fun. To be honest, I after my workout around six, I get back, I shower, and then I I get on the phone, ask for some tips. I I did I do different things, and uh, tomorrow I think I'm gonna learn how to make gnocchi. So that's gonna be fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I you're kind of inspiring me to kind of do more. Like I all I cook myself is like Indian food because it's just such oh, a big. I love Yeah. First, I have to become a pro Italian, but it's uh, it's really fun, and uh, we have time, so it's not an excuse, right? Yeah. Then after eating, I watch. I've been watching all the shows. I didn't have the chance to watch. Like I, I've watched uh, All or Nothing, The Man City. Uh, now I started to watch the the dark the Borussia Dortmund documentary. There's the France at the World Cup. I want to watch. The, the one all or nothing of Brazil also so I'm, I'm gonna be busy in a in a weird way but I'm gonna yeah I, I, it's good I mean I've been trying to keep busy as well and trying to it's made me a little bit more creative with stuff that we're doing on our site and, and on the show and I, I was on a conference call with Mark Panis the other day and he mentioned that yourself and Axel, you're making it a point as well to, to make sure that you, you're speaking to the players on a daily basis just to make sure, like mentally, that, that they're coping with this okay. And I guess at a time like this, because there's so many young guys, some guys are away from their family, just making sure that you've got that contact it is very important. Yeah, so what I try to do right now is at least every three days, uh, I call the players. You know, we don't need to talk with them every day uh, because they they have a program and they talk with uh, John Pauly, our fitness coach, and 
and uh, and they ask for for some clips or games uh, from the analysts. We try to to upload some different games on on a program that's called the Huddle, where all the players have access, and we some games that we feel are related to what we want to be about, and we send it to the players so they can watch them. Um, every two to three days, I call all of them to, to see how they're doing. Uh, they know they could call me at any time, me or Axel, if they need anything. It's really a moment right now that we have to stop and be especially extremely patient with all the situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I know it's hard to think about football right now as in getting some kind of normality back. But I mean, looking at this break, it does come across that it's in a lot of ways a silver lining for for the Whitecaps because when it does return, you're then at a level playing field with the other teams and that you're going to have all your players here. You're going to have all your players hopefully fit and healthy and it's going to actually put the club on a a better footing than you maybe were to, to start the season. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's one hundred percent sure. And we 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 analyzed a lot our game against the LA Galaxy, but there's so much we could take from that game because when we're gonna move back and play again, we're gonna have a, all the players uh, healthy and ready to go at the same level. Uh, so it could change little things in the lineup, a little dynamic um, that we think we could do and better, then we 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 also know that everything's going to start a new preseason pretty much at the same time. Uh, but a lot of doubts remain. Doubts of when are we going to start again, when the next game going to be against who is the next game. So for us to be analyzing a lot of video from opponents or from what we did previously, there's so much we could do because there's, there's a lot of question marks still at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the, the big things. I mean, touching on like pre-season, obviously no one knows how soon this is going to get back. We know it's at least May. Hard to see anything really coming back I think personally that that soon so you could be looking at June, July, maybe even later but whenever it does get back how long would you feel that the club or the players would need for another pre-season two weeks longer? I I think unfortunately the, every team I think they're going to be given between three and four weeks that's what I really believe Right. Um, my concern when it comes to that is, or my question marks is uh, exhibition games. Yeah. Who can we play against? Can we travel to play teams? Um, what are going to be the restrictions? And then inside North America and Canada and the U.S., it could it could be so many rules going from province to province or state state to state. So the 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 darkness we're in right now, that's what it makes a little bit tougher. The only clarity that we have is that most probably if nobody does anything stupid or nobody slips from their bat or, or goes down the, the stairway, you know, yeah. uh, we should have every player at the same level to start. 
Augusto and Ranko, they're all going to be there at the same time to start another preseason. The concerning thing is that before our preseason, our first preseason this year, the players came out of a three-month break. So then we got together for about two months, and now it looks like it's going to stop for who knows how many months. And then you're going to look back and say, oh, maybe in the last seven months we played two months where we had two official games, you know. So this is really something new for everybody. But uh, for me as a coach, 100%, but for every coach in the world, uh, this is something that our generation is living, that um, we're going to be able to tell our grandkids. And it's really uh, something big in the world, and we have to be very patient with it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. No matter what kind of things you can plan for, it's like this is something that, that no one would have planned for. And then I don't know if you saw today FIFA have said that they're thinking that players like over in Europe and elsewhere in the world, not obviously affecting here so much, but players' contracts that might expire, say, at the end of June would be automatically extended, which obviously throws up so many other questions like can they legally do that will courts get involved but does stuff like that have any kind of impact on what you might have been looking to do in the summer oh yeah right now uh myself and axel are pretty much set with our roster uh and also with our salary cap and knowing what's left in our salary cap and moves um we're not talking about making how can we talk about making big moves in the summer when we don't even know when we're going to start playing? And uh, the other thing is that there's there's four acquisitions that have barely played for us, like uh, Bikel, Owusu, Ranko, Eric Godoy. So our team is in a good spot, I think, today. Uh, we just need to work together and... Uh, and be patient with what we're going to do. So right now, to, to be talking about moves in the summer is extremely uh, premature, especially after a very good preseason that we had, uh, where we showed very good signs and moments of very good football. Then I would call a little bit of a darker moment in our home opener. Again, again, you know, I, I was very hard with me, my staff, uh, my players. But, but the reality is, we didn't have a good game against a good team that entered in a very good way against uh, against Houston home after that beating them for nothing. But then we we had an excellent answer against LA Galaxy away, where we we clearly deserved the win and we won the game. So. Looking at all of that and looking where we are at the club, to be talking about moves in the summer when there's so many question marks right now on when we're going to start, it's premature and um, it's not something that we're, we're talking about right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't as much meaning that the club had to, to make moves to strengthen, but I was just wondering if you'd had any anything lined up already for the summer? Like, if you knew that there was a player that you were definitely going to sign, but now that might all be kind of up in the air. No, we we had 
names that we're talking about and looking at and could be still a possibility and that we talk about, uh, but right now it's a little bit on hold. He's a gaffer. Mark DeSantos there, and we'll have more of Mark on next week's show. As I chatted with him about there, and also with Zach in part one of this week's episode, I genuinely do believe that this is a a bit of a silver lining for the Whitecaps. This break is going to let them get all the players healthy, fit, ready to go, and it does feel like it's going to be a level playing field for the club, if indeed there is an MLS season, and or if indeed the Canadian teams are able to play in it. But I hope you kind of found this uh, as fascinating an insight into Mark DeSantos as I did there, just hearing about his daily routine. And I mean, it's still football, football, football for so much of his day as he's just striving so much to to get the Whitecaps to, to be a better team than they are. And there's nothing that he wants more than to deliver a trophy here in Vancouver. And that is something that we're going to talk about when we... We'll bring you the second part of our chat next week. And there may be some alarm bells ringing when you, you hear him mentioning and Axel Schuster previously that the Whitecaps aren't maybe looking to make any big splashes in, in this upcoming transfer window, if there is indeed an upcoming transfer window, and possibly maybe even the next one as well, that they're kind of happy with the, the squad that they've got. Obviously some of that can change and that you could have players like Inbom Wong or Ali Adnan moving on to clubs in Europe, but but this whole coronavirus crisis right now has basically thrown everything in the air. It's just a massive curveball because nobody really knows when is the world game going to get back to normal, when will transfer windows get back to normal, when will contracts end, will they be extended, will seasons end, will they be extended? And I mean, right now there's just so many unknowns that, yeah, I mean, Mark's right, it it would be kind of foolish to, to plan too far ahead just now. But that is it for this part. We're going to be back in part four, talking CPL with FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Paulus. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Salt and pepper, Justin Bieber. Salt and pepper, Carpanti. Salt and pepper, Justin Bieber. Cojo, vamos, hena, vamos, hena, vamos, hena. Salt and pepper, Justin Bieber. Salt and pepper, Carpanti. Salt and pepper, Justin Bieber. Cojo, vamos, hena, vamos, hena, vamos, hena. Yeah. 
A little bit of salt and a little bit of pepper and a little bit of garlic there from our Artists of the Month, Pete and Diesel, from the Western Isles in Scotland. That sadly was their last song as Artists of the Month in residency here at the AFTN Soccer Show. Hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as I've been enjoying playing them. Really recommend checking out their two albums. The first one came out at the end of last year called Uptown Fank and the second one just came out at the end of January, Light My Buyer. Two absolutely fantastic albums. You can check them out on Bandcamp. Also check out Pete and Diesel's website www.peteanddiesel.band and you can find them on Twitter at Pete and Diesel. And I should probably, if I explained, I'm just thinking everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's Pete as in P-E-A-T, not the name Pete. And if anyone doesn't actually know what, what Pete is, it's it's basically, it's used in a lot of rural communities in Scotland as fuel. You, you just cut it in the ground, it's basically earth, you burn it, it's fuel. And yeah, it's been used for hundreds of years. It's still cut and utilised today. I also keep meaning to tweet out the documentary about Pete and Diesel, so I'll try and remember to to do that this week. But definitely check them out. I've still got a dream that they'll come over and play here at some point soon. That might be a a long way away from my dream, but we'll we'll see what happens there. That song was the last song from their first album, Uptown Fank, called Salt and Pepper. And if you're wondering what that's all about, well... One of the fun things which they've got on the back of both of their albums is they explain a a little bit about their songs. So like some of the ones which we've played on the show, Western Isles, it says, If you come from the Western Isles, then you should be proud of what we have here. A good place with good people. Country Boy said, If you're a country boy, then this is a song for you. Brandy in the Ara. The verses of the song are about being away on a road trip. The chorus is about being at home. Boydie, who's the the lead singer and and songwriter for the band, says that it fits so that the band can't change it. And the other song we've played this month was Island, which you will hear again regularly on the show, because I'm going to use that now as the intro and outro song when we interview anyone from Pacific FC. The, The blurb on the back of the album for that says... He's seen plenty of the land from the sea throughout his fishing days, because Boydie used to be be a fisherman, still does go out a little bit. So Boydie wanted to write something to make all these islanders feel part of something special. And if you've never had the, the opportunity to go and visit Scotland, or the islands of Scotland in particular, there's some absolutely amazing islands in Scotland. If and when things get back in normal, that is a trip I really recommend for you to have. Orkney and Shetland in particular I love. I haven't even explored the, the Western Isles and the and a lot of the islands on the West Coast from, from living there. And that's something that I want to go back and, and check out some more of those. But the song I just played there, Salt and Pepper, you might think, well, what was the blurb for that on the back of their album? Well, it was the last track on their first album, as I mentioned. And it just simply says... No explanation available. So there you go. Certainly a strange song, but it does mention, of course, Canadian icon Justin Bieber. And do you know what else I hope is going to become 
iconic in years to come when you think of Canada? To some, it already is. And that is the Canadian Premier League. So we're one season down in the Canadian Premier League. Obviously, the 2020 campaign has been a little bit delayed. But one thing we're wanting to do on these shows during this kind of football shutdown is not just focus on Whitecaps and MLS stuff. We want to bring you news from football around the world, interviews with people from around the world. And every week, ideally, I'd like to bring you something on the CPL. That's what we're going to do this week. And we're going to do it over the next two parts, actually. Because I am delighted to say we're joined on the phone now by FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Paulus to chat about the 2019 CPL season. FC Edmonton, the growth of the game here in Canada, what we can look forward to in 2020 and beyond, and a lot more besides. So, so thank you so much for joining us on the phone today, Jeff. And I, I've just got to start off really by, by asking, how are yourself and your family doing uh, at these difficult times? Staying safe, well and healthy, I hope. Yeah, we are. You know, we earlier on in the week, both my missus and I, we you know, felt some of these very mild, mild, mild symptoms, you know, and and then of course you start to worry a little bit, um, with uh, as you would right now in this in this time, but yeah, we feel good. You know, today we feel fine and, and, and healthy and you know, thank God for that and you know, so we're just doing our best to, to be part of the um to be part of the solution. We're staying home. We're not leaving this house. It's now been five days and we've not left uh, our home, you know. So, yeah, and hopefully everyone will kind of do the same and we'll get over this. Now, we follow, obviously, a lot of the news and here it's all Vancouver stuff and you're getting stuff from out of Toronto. I, I haven't really seen how bad it, it, it's been kind of in, in the Edmonton area. Has it been quite bad there? Are, are people obeying what they're being told to do? I think for the most part, you know, you see some things certainly that uh, my wife will, you know, call me into her office and show me, you know, some photos of our River Valley where people are, you know, still doing their exercise and up and down the stairs or walking together. And so there is still a bit of that going on here, unfortunately, you know, like the rest of the country where you see these pockets that just seem to want to ignore it. You know, I've heard there's been pickup games of soccer or, or, you know, things like this that are happening in certain parks as well, like on some of the uh, turf fields, sorry. And Mm. and you just, you shake your head, you know, because um, I think we've all seen that, that this virus doesn't care what age you are. And, um, you know, and if we all actually just follow the the guidelines of our government, then we can get through this in, you know, 14 days, we can come through this, you know, with with, uh, better off than we are now. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, I don't think it's horrendous. I think that the majority of people are, are doing their best to, to do their part and help us all out and help everybody out. And um, there's just those few, though, that, you know, for whatever reasons, I mean, I say it selfish personally, but that they just don't want to listen, I guess. You're going to get that everywhere. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully folk are starting to, to get the message now. And as we say to, to all our guests that we're having on the show, this is a football podcast, so we want to, to talk about football. We want to kind of have a little bit of normality because that's what everyone's kind of needing in their life just now as much as possible. So I want to have a, a chat with you about last year, about this coming year, which hopefully will be going ahead sooner rather than later. But looking back, first of all, don't want to dwell too much on, on 2019 because obviously it's in the past, but... What what were your your general thoughts of how the season went for Edmonton? I mean, you finished third in the spring season, had a really good run in the fall before kind of fading away a little bit towards the end and, and finishing sixth. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, a tale of, of really uh, kind of three seasons, I think. You know, I 
we, we started off wanting to play a 4-3-3. And, you know, of course, my first year of management, I was, you know, very lucky to have been around the club a long time, Colin Miller as his assistant. And, you know, and the one thing that I loved, that, that Colin had an identity and the way he wanted to play. And um, and we played that way, you know, for the five years that Colin was here. And, you know, and, and I, I kind of came in um, with an idea how I wanted to play and then I, I, and it didn't work out. And some of that's on my recruiting, just maybe not bringing in, some players in some areas that I needed. And not to say I brought in bad players at all, Michael. I, I brought in some very good players. And, you know, but some, obviously, things don't work out between some players and some managers and for whatever reason or, you know, injuries and things like this. But so, but I kind of, I let myself get sidetracked a little bit. I, I changed our system kind of after, you know, halfway through preseason, I changed our system. And then, um, you know, went went back to this 4-3-3. Didn't work out because at the time we just didn't have a, any, in a couple of wide areas. You know, so I let back, and then what I did was went back to a four-four-two, and kept the game in front of us, and just wanted to be very difficult to, to play against, very difficult to beat, and and that's when we really had a, a really nice run. You know, we had an eleven-game uh, stretch where I think they had just lost one of the eleven. Yeah. Um, put ourselves in contention to at least to, to make it competitive. You know, to to give ourselves a real chance there in the fall season, and then, you know, the, it kind of came to a halt on us. We went down to Calvary and we drew zero-zero, and it's a game that I really believe we should have won. Uh, but we didn't score, and that was kind of our Achilles heel throughout the season. And then we went to Winnipeg a few days after that. And I think we had, uh, I think we played them two days later, three days later, and it was just a poor performance by us. Winnipeg had our number, Valor, all season long, and um, you know, poor performance, and, and that really set us back. And you know, at that point, I thought, okay, you know, we're going to either win games by a goal, we're going to lose games by a goal. But I really wanted to, at that point, when when kind of the, the way that our league was structured, you just saw that you really had no chance now to catch Forge. You know, yeah. we're, we're going to be out of the running. So I went back to a 4-3-3 to finish up the season, which and it went really poorly down the stretch on us. And, you know, I should have stuck with the 4-4-2 maybe and let that run its course and see how we managed. But my other thought, Michael, was um, we had some really good young players and some good we have some good young prospects on this on this team. And they weren't going to see a lot of time in a 4-4-2 because they're not built for that. And um, part of the reason to go back 4-3-3 was to, give them their chance and to see how they were going to flourish going forward, you know, as, as we prepared for, for 2020. So yeah, disappointing season. I, you know, I, I hold my hand up to it. I learned a lot as a first year manager, certainly. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I saw I made some mistakes and, um, and uh, yeah, I'll own, I'll own year one, certainly, you know, but um, what I will say though, is I was delighted with the players we had here at the club in year one. And, and I wish the ones we, all the ones we, the ones that we didn't retain, I certainly wish them the best moving forward in their careers, and I know they'll do well in other environments. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about being a first-year head coach because obviously you'd been the assistant for a while, you'd been running the academy, and it, it is very different becoming a head coach, and especially then because because you're in the pro game. How easy was it for you with the adjustment? I mean, was it? Did, did you come across a lot of things you just simply weren't expecting it in in that first year? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, I, I think I really learned a lot about myself, you know, um, as an individual. And you know, I've always had a, a certain way, you know, of carrying myself. I've, had, I've always had a certain way of players, regardless if it was you know coaching my my college team when I had Nate um, in the you know Canadian college system, or when coaching young players here in the city, whatever it was, but. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly relaxed, kind of calm individual on the sideline. I'm, I'm fairly, you know, as far as my, my work with players, I, you know, I've always been that manager that, you know, put my arm around a player and I always try to find the good and the positive. And, and, and you know, I had uh, maybe allowing, you know, 
some maybe allowing people get into my ear a little bit much. And, and I, I thought I, at one point, you know, especially in the second season, I really started to feel as becoming a manager that that uh, that I wasn't. You know, it, it's hard to fake. Um, mm. It's hard to fake certain qualities, you know, or, or certain um, philosophies and who you are or how you coach. And and I thought it was coming at then on like myself, and I was letting the stress get to me a little bit. Um, you know, I, there's a couple moments that certainly I regret. You know that I wish I could take back as far as you know, just dealing with a player or two, and you know, so you you have to you have to learn from this stuff. And really, for me, my whole off season, you know, right, right when the season was done, there's been a lot of soul searching. There's been a lot of, you know, okay, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've earned the opportunity based on who you were. Um, that's why you were hired for the job. So you need to be who you are. And um, you know, trying to be something else is is false and it's fake. And, and people and players see through that. So um, yeah, it's uh. It was. It was an interesting. I mean, it was enjoyable. It was very educational for me. And um, but this is just me being honest. That yeah, I mean, I, I you know I definitely saw where my faults were. Um, you know, in my coaching, in my coaching kind of methodology. Uh, you know, last year and certainly in some of my, in some of who I was as a person. So I'll go back to being me. Uh, that's what I really learned from last year. And 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 then, and then I'll determine if I'm, you know, if that's going to be strong enough. But but I have to be myself. And uh, that is really my key lesson from last year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it, it's good to, I always feel it's good to be honest about your your successes and fa- failings. It's like I'm somebody that I know sometimes it can come across as arrogant. It's like if you if you know you've done something well, you acknowledge it. And if you know you've done something bad, you acknowledge it. And I think if you can be honest with yourself, it, it, it does make you a, a better person. I think you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah, I think I'd be kidding myself if I look for excuses here. You know, this is um, last season is is not on the players at this club. Certainly, it's um, again. I you know I thought I recruited well last year. I brought in some very good senior pros, and you know when when something doesn't work out, it's it's always two people involved in that for me. It's always the the manager, of the team, and the player, the coach, and the player. You know, there's a reason things don't, and you see it in every sport. You know, you see all over the place where. You know, one one player will be at one club and not doing well. They'll sell that player on, and then he all of a sudden becomes a star and shines. And mm. and it's just uh, you know, there wasn't whatever it was between the two didn't work out. And then we'll see that here with the players that have left us and moved on. They'll they'll find the right manager for them, and they'll be good players. So, yeah, you have to. I think you have to accept responsibility here. It's too easy just to keep blaming, you know, or looking for other excuses. Man, if you if you don't look at yourself first, um, you'll never improve as a coach or a person. So, um, this is what I what I often do. A couple of times in interviews, you've said that you kind of underestimated what the quality of the CPL was going to be like, and I was the same. I've said this myself at the end of the season. I was very surprised at the level that we saw because I genuinely did not think it would be as strong a level as it was. Just looking back on the league as a whole, I mean, I guess you were very, very pleasantly surprised by how it all turned out. Yeah, delighted. Honestly, delighted. And, you know, we really saw, and I did, I openly admit that, I underestimated the level of year one. And, you know, I think when you see the success, every team had their moment of success last year in, in this league. There was moments for every team where you thought, yeah, that, that's a good football inside, you know. And, and they're doing this with uh, the majority of their starting players being Canadian, the majority of the roster being Canadian. And a lot of Canadian names that many people in the country would not have heard before. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at I look at Calvary, you know, down south, and this is a this is a team that the year prior they won PDL. When you when you take the PDL level and compare that to MLS, well, they they should never be able to compete against yeah. MLS side, you know. But but yet you see this, this this group of Canadian kids come out of the PDL with Calvary. You know, they they come into the CPL season. 
And, and then you all of a sudden now we start to hear these names like like Zator and Pasquati and uh, well, Carducci people knew, of course. Um, you know, Trafford, you know, Jay Wilden had a great year for them. I mean, they just, uh, Elijah Adekube, you can go through Nick Ledgewood, of course, is the one that we all know. But but this group of Canadian, you know, of Canadian kids um, that were playing PDL a year before, you know, had just beaten the Whitecaps and knocked them out of the Canadian Championship. And uh, what a story that is. But, but you know, it just, I think it speaks to so many things, Michael. I think it speaks to, to how well uh, players, you know, how well players are actually developing in our country at the different levels and different. We, we often criticize our grassroots. We criticize, you know, club development stuff. But, but I think these are great examples that there are some very good things happening. We just never really had the platform for these players to, to be seen. You know, certainly the, the Calvary players got that with, with the PDL. You look at Forge with the lineup they put together that when majority of that, of that team came out of a private academy, Sigma Academy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these guys have gone on and they've shown that again, these, these players who were all one year ago, amateur players, you know, had, had advanced in the, um, in CONCACAF. So just some incredible storylines. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it really, it really, uh, set up, set up the, I mean, I think it put our league about three years ahead of where I thought we'd be, you know, quite honestly, as far as the level of play. So yeah, I mean, credit to the successes of these clubs that I just mentioned as well. Putting us on the map. I've been here since 2007. You've been involved in the game for so many years here with Edmonton. And when you look back, when when Edmonton was like in the old NASL, did you ever see at that time that there? Did you really honestly believe that there could be a a Canadian professional league? No, honestly, it was the furthest thing from my thought at the time. You know, and uh, I started here at this club in 2012 and but we we never for a second thought because we had of course the the three mls sides and then there was us in ottawa Mm -hmm. and then when ottawa made the decision to leave the nasl uh before we did well before the league folded you know i kind of i kind of saw that as okay well that's you know this is really yeah this is it for canadian soccer if we don't last then we're just gonna have these three mls teams and that's going to be it so um i didn't hear about this stuff then also the rumor started you know and you, you have hope and um yeah, but no, at the time certainly I did not. Uh, I did not see this league happening. And a, a great thing for, for Edmonton. I mean, it's always had a a good base of, of supporters. I know maybe the crowds have not always been at, at the level that that Tom Fath would have ideally liked in the NASL days. But a lot of that as well was the fact that you're playing in an American league. You'd, Ottawa was your Canadian derby. You had. Some some good games against the the Whitecaps over, over the years in the Voyagers Cup, but now you've actually got an Albertan Derby and the El Clasico. Yeah, I mean maybe the results against Cavalry it didn't go your way this year, but they were close games and the the passion of the fans and just everything about it. It just seemed fantastic to finally have that in Alberta. Really, wasn't it? I mean, those games are exciting. And thank you for saying that, by the way, that the games are actually closer than uh, because you're the first one that's acknowledged that outside of me. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they they were good games. You know, even the game we lost three 0 You know, we were a good side that that day, and for thirty five minutes we played wonderful football. Um, you know, against a very good team and, and played them off the park. And then, uh, you know, they scored on the counter and we fell apart. But yeah, these are these are what are going to create the stories in our country because I mean, these are organic. You know, and this whole even the name, the El Clasico name, this came from the supporters groups. This wasn't something that the two clubs got together and created. This was members of the supporters groups um, getting together. I believe Dallas Walker here and, and uh, Sean Clark down in, in, in Calgary, and, and they did this. And, and we uh, we adopted it, Tommy and I, because we saw that this beca- this was organic and this was something that was created by emotion and passion. 
And um, and that's how, if we're going to grow the game here, that's what has to create the game. Because really, I think I think if this if this game is going to go, I mean, obviously, our league does brilliant work behind the scenes in working with uh, sponsors and, you know, and that whole corporate side of, of, of professional sport. League does a great job, you know, truly on the business side. But if, if the game is truly going to grow here, if we're going to embrace it, it needs to grow through the fence. It needs to grow organically. It needs to grow through grow through that passion and emotion that we see in other countries that are footballing nations. And, um, you know, so when you see a derby like this, that's what's going to push us that way, you know, because this is something, not something that we have to trade or falsify. We don't need, you know, I mean, I love, listen, I love all sports. I love hockey, but we don't need, you know, a big screen with clapping hands to tell our fans when to clap. Yeah. They just, they know when to sing their songs and cheer and, you know, they have the banter with the other supporters groups. So, yeah, this is, um, I mean, this is massive if, if we're going to grow this game in this country. It's, it's events like this. And you're right, because Jacksonville versus Edmonton just doesn't excite anybody. Yeah. I was involved in it, and even I was like, oh, it's Jacksonville. So, yeah, I get it. Well, yeah, it's like here, if it's like Columbus against the Whitecaps or Philadelphia against the Whitecaps, trying to sell that to the general public, it, it's tough especially when they're not seeing those teams on TV and they don't have big superstars. And it's like, okay, but why would I want to go to a game like that? Add in a derby, add in some some passion and it's great. And the way that the Canadian Championship was set up this year and last year, there was the possibility here, for example, of Pacific ending up playing uh, Vancouver. I ended up going through to Calgary for, for the game through there and... The, the folk in Calgary were just buzzing. They were getting to play a big team. They were getting to show that they could compete with this. And hopefully we'll see more of that. And hopefully Edmonton as well this year in the Canadian Championship can make a good run. I certainly hope so, yeah. We came so close, you know, in 2014 um, with that. Oh, yeah. That, that, uh, I was just asking another interview about, you know, my, my worst officiating moment. That, that, <laughs> that told me, you know, made me mad. And that was the one, of course, the second leg of, the, of 2014. But, yeah, this is... Um, you know, the Canadian Championship, I think this can be a real nice event for us in this country because it pits, because Canada's a country that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Canada's like the United States where sports is dominant. You know, it doesn't really permeate throughout the culture where it's, you know, everyone's so involved and interested in it. This is why it grows so fast in the States, whatever they do professionally. Um, but what we do have here is we, we really have regional loyalties and regional passions that, that are outside of sport. They're politics, they're wherever they are. You know, we have a nicer city than you have, a, you know, in your city. These yeah. things are they're past sports, but that's how we can create this kind of um, this culture where it's a real passion to come and beat a team from a you know you want to be a team from Toronto because of the you know the you know the, the people's feelings about that city. I'm a Torontonian. I mean, I love the city, but <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't. You know, or you know, when you get to play a team out of Quebec eventually, and you have the whole French versus English rivalry. Oh, yeah. Some of these, yeah. So these, I think, are great ways that we'll be able to stir emotion and, and create these wonderful stories going forward. And I mean, the, the league clearly, it wasn't perfect last year. There was a, you would expect that in, in its first year. And a lot of the things have been addressed. For me, my, my two biggest complaints were the travel aspect and sometimes was ridiculous because you had Pacific play in Halifax midweek. And I think that happened twice where both teams had to travel cross country for a midweek game. So, I mean, that's been addressed now for the, for the coming season. The, the other thing as well, it was it was hard, I think, to get neutrals interested when you had two teams. I'll say running away with it. I know yourself and others kind of kept in touch a little bit during the fall season, but it did look for so long that it was going to be a, a Cavalry versus Forge final. And then for me, being old school from the UK, 
having a team win a spring and a fall championship and then lose the cup final. I, I know that's the rules, but to yeah. me, that's that's tough to watch. Yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, at the start of the year, um, at some of our meetings, and I think Kurt uh, Larson likes to say that he came up with the idea of this uh, playoff series. But I mean, <laughs> at the start, when the coaches all got together, you know, we, and we talked about playoff format, or would it be a, t- a league table, which many of us hoped it would be just a league table yeah. and no playoff. But we also understand in North America, everyone loves a playoff. So, so I recommended the NASL model, and uh, at the time. And this is before we ever kicked a ball, uh, before we even hit, hit training camp. And, you know, at the time I thought, okay, well, if you need to have a playoff, then you could, and you're going to do two seasons. The NASL kind of had it right. And then that they had the season one winner, season two winner, and then the next two teams in the overall table. So it made the table worthwhile. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day. So at least the table meant something. Last year, the table really didn't mean anything. You know, if you won, yeah, it really didn't mean a lot at the end of the day. And so, so that was kind of put forward and, and had that now, you know what would have been interesting last year. Not that any other team deserved it. I mean, the top two, the top two teams last year, they deserved to be. If you're going to have a final, they deserve to be in the final. Uh, they they did run away with it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just the reality. But um, had they had a, a playoff type format like the NASL last year, the first round, the the first kind of playoff round would have been Calgary versus FC Edmonton, and um, and and Forge versus uh, York. Mm-hmm. Oh, could you imagine that driving local interest? Oh yeah, because you would—I mean, it was—it would have been a one-off, but it would have been unbelievable. Not that we deserve to be there, Michael. I, I would never suggest that we did deserve to be in a playoff, but that in the NASL days would have happened, and um, that would have been unbelievable. And uh, because again, I thought, you know, at any one point, I thought our team could have taken a, a result over Calgary based on how we played them in, in the uh, in the games we played. So, you know, and certainly York at the, at the end of last year, York was looking like one of the hotter teams. And uh, I think they could have pushed Forge, you know, in, in a playoff. But I'm like you. You know, we all knew the rules going in, though. We all knew the rules about, yeah. at the end of the day, that potentially we, we brought it up as a concern that you, you could win both seasons and lose a final. And how does that look? And, you know, I mean, full credit to Calgary. They showed the most consistency. What also happened, though, you know, maybe a little bit, is that Forge knew they had the spring se- or the fall season wrapped up. Or they had the playoff spot wrapped up, sorry. You know, and as soon as they had that, yeah. they just rested players. And uh, they were able to go into the, you know, into that two late final completely rested because they, they started to do a rotation of players, and they had the squad size and, and depth to do that. So, yeah, I mean, they played a bit of uh, a bit of strategic play there that worked out, and but our rules allowed for that as well. So, yeah, you're right, you're right. The rest of us were out of it for a long time. And how do you how do you excite a fan base when you've got eight weeks to go in the season, you have zero chance of, of making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean that's that's the, the the tough sell for it as well, and also for me, it, I I feel more games need to be on TV so that the general public can see it. One soccer, they do a great job. I I have my subscription. I watch the games, although I find myself later in the year, and this is me as a huge football fan, just watching the highlights on YouTube because it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what happens between Valor and and York because they're not going to be in the final. I'll I'll just watch two-minute highlights on YouTube. Yeah, that's exactly the, that's exactly one of the issues. It, it, um, yeah, I mean, One Soccer's been great, I will say. One Soccer, you know, Media Pro, their, um, their investment in the Canadian game with, uh, with the, you know, the partnership with the league is unbelievable, really unprecedented in our country uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a new league like this. Um, but yeah, I think that um, that became a problem. You know, there's, there, there was less interest in people that I know who care about football. They, they all told me they lost interest down the stretch, and why would they go online and watch a game that, at the end of the day, meant nothing. It was really an exhibition, wasn't it? 
Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, this will be different this year for sure. Um, but but I, I definitely understand your point. But enough of looking at things that's happened in the past. Let's look ahead to the future. What lies in store for the CPL and for Edmonton this year and beyond? And we'll be back with that. Talking to Jeff Paulus after this. Hi, I'm Cal Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN podcast. in church again and the hand claps all fell quiet I watched the statue of you cry the candle is blown so we start the black march home through a stale and silent night Drunk priest at your side Staggering sermons never washed There's no reproach From a lit touch paper Both got stubborn marrowing bastard bones Should we just get home Sleep this off Throw some sorries and then Do it all Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show. And that was the wonderful Frightened Rabbit, a band from Selkirk in the borders of Scotland. Late March, Death March. Not picked because of the, the current coronavirus pandemic, by the way. I, I just wanted to kind of tie in with the rabbit thing since we've been talking Edmonton in the last part and this part. Good old Rally Rabbit and all that. And the wonderful vocals there of the late, great Scott Hutchison, coming up for nearly two years from his death when he sadly took his own life. Very talented singer-songwriter, did suffer from mental health problems over the years, and just our, our usual reminder that we like to give on this show. We know this is very tough times for a lot of people out there, and for some people, it's just really, really is a struggle for, for their mental health. So... That's something we're actually going to cover in a little bit more depth in next week's episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. Got some good stuff lined up for that. But as I, I said in our, our most recent extra podcast, if you are struggling right now, if you are feeling a, a little bit lonely right now, don't hesitate to, to reach out, get in touch. I'm available by DM on Twitter at AFT in Canada. You can send me an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com. We're here for you, we're an ear for you. Just remember, as these animal men sang in part three of the show, we're all in this together. But just before we get back to the football chat with FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Paulus, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a break and we're going to bring you part three of AFTN's episodic football serial from the 1959 Roy of the Rovers annual. It's tough for the son of a soccer star by Edwin Dale.
Dick Denby, a budding young soccer player, was having a perfect day, or so he thought. It looked like he was about to fulfil his lifetime's ambition of signing with local side Bracktown United. A club his dad had played for 16 or 17 years ago, but it's loath to talk about his time there. After finding himself at Bracktown United Stadium watching a training session, Dick impressed the players and manager Joe Danvers with an impromptu training session. Danvers was impressed so much that he offered the young lad an amateur contract with Bracton. But just as he was about to sign it, in rushed assistant trainer Fred Bagley, imploring Danvers not to offer the boy a contract. The door flew open and the assistant trainer, Fred Bagley, burst into the room. Mr Danvers, he cried, if you're thinking of signing the lad, then don't! Dick's heart missed a beat. Joe Danvers, in the act of passing a pen over the desk, paused. Why the dickens not, Bagley? asked the manager. What is there against him? I thought I recognised him out in the field, answered Fred Bagley. The likeness is too obvious for me to be mistaken, but let him tell you himself. Now then, he went on, turning to Dick. Do you know anyone in that photo? The assistant trainer pointed towards the framed team group above the fireplace. I'm not likely to, replied Dick, mystified. That photo's twenty years old. Oh, yes, you do, cried Fred Bagley. You know this man. Strutting across the room, he jabbed his finger at one of the players sitting in the front row of the team group. Dick peered closer, and a gasp of amazement escaped his lips. He had no need to read the name printed underneath the player. It was his father. You bet I do, cried Dick proudly. It's my father. He used to play for the United, but had to give up football because of an injury. That's what everybody thinks, snapped Fred Bagley. But I was a young player for the United at the same time as your father, And so was Bob Warner, and we know the truth. He turned to face Joe Danvers. This lad's name is Denby, and his father was kicked out of the United for a series of thefts that his pals committed in the dressing room. That's why we don't want to sign on another Denby. The boy might take after his father. Dick's eyes blazed angrily. I don't believe it, he cried fiercely. It's a lie. My father never stole anything in his life. Dick turned to face Bob Warner, hoping the trainer would deny Bagley's accusation. But Bob Warner said nothing. In fact, his face showed unwilling confirmation of what Fred Bagley had said. But it's impossible, blurted out Dick. There must have been some mistake. Then he realised he was wasting his breath. He couldn't prove anything without knowing the facts. Despondently, he turned to the door and started to open it. Well, if I'm not wanted in the United, I'll go. But somehow or other... Even if it takes the rest of my life to do it, I'll prove to you all that you're wrong about my father. Before Dick could close the door behind him, however, he heard Joe Danvers' voice. Wait a minute, Denby. Come back here, he said. I know nothing about what happened in the past, and I don't want to. I'm manager of the club now, and what's past is past. But I know a promising young footballer when I see one, and I'm asking you to forget what just happened and sign that form. What do you say, Bob? The worried look in the trainer's face was suddenly replaced by a grin. His father was a grand footballer, Governor, he broke in. It looks as if his son is going to be just as good a player. I'm with you. Sign him on. Minutes later, Dick hurried excitedly out of the manager's office. 
He had signed on for the second division, Bracton United. Only as an amateur, maybe, but it was the realisation of a boyhood dream. Yet his joy was not quite complete. There was the shadow of the accusation that had been made against his father. He couldn't believe it was true. He wouldn't believe it. As he hurried home, Dick was fired with two ambitions. To make good with the United and to clear his father's name. Was there any truth to the thief rumours? Was Dick Denby's dad guilty? Or will he be proved to be innocent? And how will Dick fare when he gets to play for Bracton United? Find out next week in part four of AFTN Soccer Serial. It's tough for the son of a soccer star by Edwin Dale. And the drama continues. We'll be back next week with part four. Hope you've been enjoying that story. Got another one lined up for when this all comes to its conclusion. And we've had some good feedback on this. It might actually be a a regular feature that we continue once football is not in shutdown. But for now, let's get back to some more football talk. So in the last part, we had the first part of our chat with FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Paulus and... I think you'll agree some very refreshing honesty from him there about how he feels about some missteps that, that he made himself in his first season as a head coach with FC Edmonton. And we often talk about the fact that the CPL is there to help develop Canadian players, give them an opportunity to to go on maybe to, to bigger and better things, a, a place for guys to, to come out of the academy and school systems to and go into a proper football environment. But it should also be remembered as well that the CPL really should also be getting used to help develop good young Canadian coaches. And we're seeing a lot of that in the game. I'm sure we'll see a lot of that more in the years to come as well. And and Jeff is a first-year coach at FC Edmonton. Jeff may not be one of the, the youngest coaches in, involved in the CPL, but after being an assistant with FC Edmonton in their NESL days and being very heavily involved with the academy as head coaches and more, over the the time period as well, it's been a great move for him into now becoming head coach in his own right for the the first time. And obviously 2020 is going to hold a lot more challenges in store for Jeff and the the other guys within the league, especially in a time like this, because we don't know when the league's coming back, what it's going to look like when it comes back. So what I want to do with you now, Jeff, is really just have a chat a little bit more looking forward Looking, first of all, at yourself, this, you, you kept 15 players, and that includes Amir Didic, who, who came back from his stint at the Whitecaps, and we'll, we'll talk about him in a sec. Eight have moved on, you, you've made some exciting additions like Kevin Alleman, Hanson Bacoy coming back in, into the mix, and like a guy that I know well from watching him in the residency here, Chance Carter, that I, I think could be a, a, an exciting addition. It, it looks... Like you've made the the additions that you needed to to strengthen the team. I guess one of the the big things last year you touched on it earlier was the goal scoring. You you average less than a goal a game. Do you do you feel you've made the additions that's going to a kind of fit the system that you want to play and b address the the big goal scoring aspect of it? 
Yeah, we do, um, Michael. We do. We actually made the additions based on how we're going to play uh, this year. We have we we were very you know we had a very productive off season. My staff and I and how we're going to play based on who we had left and what we what we thought we'd be able to do with 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 who we're keeping, and then that defined who we're going to go after. And um, so we're delighted. I have to say, you know, we we kept so many players because I I really truly I believe in in the core group, you know, and even players that have left us, um, you know, I believe in them as players as well as I said. So. You know, we 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 played. Um, we won two, uh, lost two, drew one against Hamilton. Um, one game they, you know, they, we we probably stole a win, but they also stole a win against us when they came and beat us at, at Clark uh, Clark in the fall season too. So we felt we played the top team in the league very well, and they were. I mean, as a footballing team, Forge really was an impressive side. But yeah. we we felt very comfortable against them with our players, and then even Calvary, although we didn't beat them. Um, they they were just so consistent. Um, they were so fit, and at the end of the day, that you know they could just uh, grind out a result, and they did that against us. But never once did we ever walk out of a match there thinking that we were over outplayed by them. So, and I could be naive, but that's uh, how my staff and I certainly feel, and plus that's how the players felt. So we don't think that we were that. We never thought for a second we were that far away. Um, we, we had some areas. So we had a big problem last year in that. Um, our left-sided players were all right-footed. And again, this is all on that because it's a recruiting mistake mm. on my part. And um, I had some deals fall through late on me. And then we, yeah, so it just, anyhow, you, we live with that. But we have, we've had some exciting additions now. We actually have, I think, seven left-footers on our squad this year. We're very balanced. We're most surreal. We're able to move into the back where he's actually a stronger player. Uh, but it gives us left-footed ability of a left-footer to play out of the back line for us. Duran Lee is actually going to be a very big addition for this club. And, Came into the season halfway through uh, for Halifax. Had a very good year for them down, you know, in the second season when they brought him in as a central defender. But but Duran Lee is uh, he's a, I mean, physical specimen number one. You know this this kid's an athlete, and um, but he's got a wonderful left foot. And, and we've had a left footed crosser of the ball as, as good as him. I mean, since Lance, Lance Lang was since Lance Lang days, we've yet to replace out on the left side a player that can can serve a ball like him or cross the ball. And Duran Lee has that ability. He's actually an attacking player. Durant Lee loves to dribble, gets up and down the line for us. So we feel that the addition of, of him and, uh, and now moving Rowan to the back just gives us a bit more balance um, side to side in our in our roster. And then uh, Eric Zetterberg is another interesting player we brought in. Um, he, he's going to remind people of a young Kyle Becker. And I say that with so much respect to Kyle Becker. Mm. And uh, But this kid's vision, his ability to pass a ball, uh, see a pass, is, is really quite, quite something in training that we saw uh, over the short, you know, the eight days that we had. But, the, you know, then you look at where our weaknesses were and, of course, scoring goals. And, you know, we're going to have Eason and Gara healthy for a full season. Um, of course, he missed a good chunk last year, but his uh, goals per minutes was, was well of anybody in our league. And then we have the addition of Kevin Elman, Hanson Volkai, and Ruel Tito. Um, just three kind of, uh, you know, Tristan Borges-type players. You know, if we have to try to, to, to compare them to some of the, you know, people that watched the league last year would know about that. But these any one of them can get on the ball and be special and do something to hurt a team. And we've got three of them now. And um, and we will get them on the field together as much as possible. And uh, but then we also have the young ones, like you said. I mean, Marcus Vallado has come into camp looking even faster than he was last year. Kids had a great off season. Chance Carter's an exciting left foot prospect, can be yeah. a holding midfield player or left central defender, but really exciting prospect. I'm a big fan of Chance. I actually sent him to the Whitecaps uh, from our academy. I just thought he needed to be pushed more, so so I gave them the call about this player. And uh, Anthony Casteris is another one, and you know that started with us, Whitecaps residency player. Oh yeah, came back to us, and this kid has something as well. He's got that a bit of bite to him, but he's very, very good on the ball. So 
what we've done this year, Michael, is we're, we're younger, we're faster, and we're, we're very, very technical. And um, but we think, so hopefully, I mean, you never know. I guess you kick ball. Every team's gotten better, to be fair. You know, every team has. I'm not naive to that. I just think that now with our roster, you're going to see a team that's more balanced, um, front to back. We've got depth of positions now, competition for places. And, um, yeah, we should be an exciting team to watch. And, I mean, adding, like, Kevin and Hansen, the experience that they've got overseas, like Bokai, five five years in Europe, Aliman played in Costa Rica for a number of years, mm. big, big additions. And, obviously, now the CPL's had a year under its belt, did that make it easier to attract guys like this to say, look, you've seen the quality in this league, you can be part of this? I think so. You know, I think so. And I think that um, I think that a lot of players, maybe Canadians down the USL, saw what's happening here with Tristan Borges getting a, a decent money move over to Europe. And I think they saw that Amir Didich, you know, who mm. had been down in the States for a couple of years um, and really off the radar of the national team, comes into the CPL, uh, starts showing his quality with us, and now he looks to be kind of a, you know, like a, a constant figure on that back line for them, whether or not he starts for them, but definitely always in consideration for a project call-up now. So I think I think people are starting to see this happening. You know, you see the sale of uh, uh, of uh, Waterman to, to uh, Montreal Impact. So, yeah, I think this has opened the eyes that maybe USL is not the best place for a good Canadian player. Maybe our league is, and... We're certainly seeing that with the amount that have come in this year um, to teams. But what I will say is, you know, our league, we have to start six Canadians and you can only sign seven internationals. And uh, mm. these, you know, Canadian players become a real a real priority. And uh, I mean, I'm delighted with the Canadians be able to bring back into our roster this year. So, yeah. Touched on Amir Didich there. We had him here on trial in Vancouver in the preseason. It, it didn't work out, I think. That was the best thing for Amir because he'd have probably been third or fourth in the pecking order here, just at least initially because of money spent on other players. But his rise, and you talked about how he's playing the the, the US for a couple of years and now he's in the Canadian team mix. He's a kind of guy, and like I guess Dominic Zator is another, that you can kind of hold up to players, as you touched on there, and say... Yeah, look at his growth. This is what the CPL can do for you. I mean, Amir had a, such a good season. Oh yeah, yeah. This he's um, you've named two good defenders there by saying Zator as well. You know, and of course we have Waterman that's just uh, gone on to Montreal, and when you, and I've watched him play now uh, a couple of times in Montreal, and doesn't look out of place at all. Yeah. So yeah, I think that um, I mean Amir Tidic is um, first of all, I wish everyone got to see what I see every day, you know, and 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 this kid's dedication to his craft and, and dedication to getting better. Um, he is a, an absolute physical specimen. Whenever it's, he's about to lift away, I just leave because I look at myself in the mirror and I'm <laughs> you know, when I see this man lift away. But um, he is just uh, so dedicated to his craft. He's he wants to get better. You know, he wants to get to the MLS. We're doing everything we can, obviously, to encourage that as well as a club. I uh, certainly always encourage that for him. But you know, he's just he's a rare breed because really he's got the foot skills and, and ability on the ball and passing ability of, of a central midfield player um, who happens to be those six foot four, um, the best aerial defender in the CPL. And um, yeah, just, and just a really strong one B one defender. So, so he's, uh, he's a modern center half now, you know, he's um, a ball winner. Like I said, he's a, he's a threat on set pieces, obviously, whether he's striking a ball or, or getting on the end of it with his head. But yeah, he's, um, you know, he gets to be in an environment where he gets to enjoy his football, and I think that's key. He, he's he's enjoying his football again. It shows when he plays and when he trains. And um, 
But yeah, and the fact that he's getting 90 minutes a game, game in game out, and gets to be a yeah. real leader back there for us. These oh, are all the uh, yeah, that's what certainly the helps. We need. Yeah. Because I, I, I spoke to him when he was here in January and that was one of the things he said was the fact he's playing regularly and you're talking about him being a physical specimen. I, I hadn't realised. I mean, obviously I knew he's, he was big. I'm 5'8 and I'm standing beside him and I'm like, geez, you're like a beast. He's a beast. It's unbelievable, right? And But just all muscle as well. I'm not yeah. much body fat on this kid, but just the muscle on him and, you know, there's muscles in his legs that I, I still try to find on mine. Uh, so, <laughs> I thought they were make-believe, but yeah, no, he, again, he's, uh, but there's a few, I mean, I think this league is going to be a great for guys that, because that, that's what we, you know, at the end of the day, we've got players here, like an Amir Didich, right, that we know is a talent, that we know is a real prospect, um, but the fact that he's playing nine minutes week in and week out versus other good players who might have gone to Europe and might be playing Division Two somewhere, but never seeing a pitch. So, yeah. I think that when you're the national team staff, you know, certainly, um, I, I'm really thankful that they've that they've looked at our league and looked at players that are playing and getting good minutes and have valued that. So, so I'm thankful to our our senior national team staff for also having the the courage to look at our league because at the end of the day they can face criticism from you know tapping the, the CPL in year one and and um, but they've they've not worried about that. So, and of course the whole season right now is just up in the air. I'd hope to have this chat with you when you were out here in, in, for, in Langley for, for pre-season and no one knows right now when, when it's going to get back and I know all the clubs are you're doing like your video conferencing and training and stuff like that but how hard is it to, to genuinely plan for the season because you don't know how long it's going to be? I mean, worst case scenario, it doesn't take place at all which I, I think in Canada at least is probably that's not going to be the case because I think at least in Canada we, we might be able to, to travel and play some games, but it must just make planning just so, so difficult right now. Yeah, it is. And I have to say, you know, on that note, I'm really, I'm gutted for, you know, everyone that's involved in the game that, that is earning a, a paycheck from the game. You know, and this is anybody, I'm not even talking about the players and staff right now, I'm talking about all those that rely on, you know, uh, work at stadiums, yeah. you know, do concessions, uh, security. All these people right now are in such limbo, so it's horrendous. For us, you're right. It, it, I mean, we're 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 doing our best to kind of just tick over every single day. You know, we, we try to contact the players once a day. You've got your processes in place where you do some online video work with them, but it's day by day right now, and we we don't know. Um, you know, I'm not anticipating it anytime soon. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I think all of April would be very similar to what we're doing today. So you try to prepare the players for this is what we're this is what we're going to be like now for for another month at least, and um, you get them prepared for that, and hopefully it's sooner. But you know, you, you prepare them for longer. And you're right, it, it's a difficult uh, for everybody. I mean, this isn't obviously way more important than football, but um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma. I I read. Uh, that you had been a ball boy with Toronto Blizzard back in the NASL days. It's like, what, what, what's your memories of the NASL? Because I'm I'm obsessed with it. I, I'm a bit of a football historian. I've got right. some old videos and programs, and I've been I love the documentary uh, Once in a Lifetime on the Cosmos. And it, I mean, the league it fascinates me, and I just remember it a little bit from being a little boy in Scotland. But what was it like? being around that and seeing all these top players come and play in Toronto. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? I, I don't think at the time, I don't think I appreciated it enough. Yeah. I don't think I appreciated what it really was. You know, and again, you're a young Canadian boy and you, you love the game and, and you play the game. 
but you're you know you're still on a Saturday night you're still watching a hockey game at that you know that year I'm 50 years old so so um yeah it's uh I, I didn't appreciate what I was able to really experience at that time I and mean, I loved it you're a young kid you're you're a young player I mean I think I've had to pick up a ball and pass it to Colin Miller <laughs> <laughs> so we have laughed with him about that and um but uh yeah you know I think this is what we need. I mean, this is uh, when you when you're a young kid and, and you get to be on a sideline or do something like that. You know, for the professional side of your city, um, it, it just that that's that's what drives your your passion, isn't it? That's what that's what kind of gives you a dream. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to even at the time. Again, I wish I appreciated more at the time what I was getting to witness then. But it's only as I got older and started to learn more and more about the game and you know that I really appreciated who I got to see. So but at the time, yeah, I wish I would have taken a, a moment to understand a bit more, but I was still a young boy. Yeah, and of course the, the world's coming to Canada in 2026, Edmonton, one of the, the three Canadian cities that's going to be hosting games, sadly not here in Vancouver, although there's still rumours that that might change, but I mean, assuming everything goes ahead in Edmonton and assuming that the games go ahead there, what is, what's that going to mean? A, to the city and B, to the country. Yeah, everything. I mean, for the, for the city in general, just to, what it's going to do, it's, it's going to drive up, um, for our community certainly, it's, it's going to drive um, an, an investment in, in some of our uh, facilities and things like this. So the long-term impact of hosting an event for, for football or for soccer is, is incredible. So you have that, but yeah, I, I think just for the same reasons as where I got to be a ball boy, I think for every young, every young aspiring soccer player, uh, female, male, uh, to be able to go and watch some of the best players on the planet uh, in this event is going to be a game changer, you know, for the country. I think for our sport, for our, well, and for the country, for our sport in general across the country, then you know this is going to attract corporate uh, interest. It's going to mm-hmm. attract media interest, and, and hopefully that is kind of what gets us over the, the hump. You know where where soccer is seen as an equivalent sport as hockey in this country. The CFL starts to dominate some of the, you know, some of the local media time as much as uh, the other sports do. And so our sport, this is what we need in our country. We've needed this. I mean, look what '94 did for the states in their development of soccer down yeah. there and the growth of the MLS. And um, this should be no different here. I actually flew to the the, the states for the that World Cup, and it was like speaking to locals and they'd no idea what it was and then you look up where MLS is now but last thing I want to ask you as well you're, you're good friends I know with, with Mark DeSantis you go back years with him you got any good stories you can share or are, are all the good stories ones that you can't share? Well no I mean Mark's been uh, Mark's been very very good to me you know over the years I, of course I was the assistant coach and having to coach against him yeah. you know, several times now And um, but I've always really respected Mark as a uh, you know, certainly as as a coach, as a student of the game, and a scholar of the game, and um, so I've always appreciated my conversations with Mark. You know, he he's still, you know, generous enough to take a call from me and, and talk football with me and talk tactics. And even last year, I, I phoned him for a bit of advice and, and and even on some players. You know, Ramon Steria is, is one example where I called Mark and really asked his thoughts on Ramon and because um, he coached him and. And uh, so, so Mark is still as busy as he is, generous enough to take my call. And uh, so I've always appreciated that about him. But no, I mean, the best story I could really tell about, about Mark is not my story to tell. That's, that's one between him and Colin. But, um, <laughs> you know, certainly there, there was a couple of interesting moments there. And, um, but, you know, that's all heat of the moment stuff because I know that Colin and Mark uh, get on quite well now. So, um, yeah, but yeah. just the passion of sport, you know. 
Well, yeah, two two passionate guys that certainly wear their heart on their sleeve uh, when they're in the dugout. So that that would have been interesting. Yeah, that's what it was. You know, I always did. If I if I say anything, I always did think that Mark Lawrence pants a bit too short on the sidelines. So that'll <laughs> give you that little bit of that little tidbit. Of, I'll, uh, I'll watch out for that now. Yeah, I, there I, you go. So, no, but that was certainly the Ottawa days. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your your time, Jeff. I've really really enjoyed chatting to you. I just. I'm enjoying this time. I'm getting to chat in depth with folk about football. Hopefully I didn't keep you back too much, but thanks so much. No, I appreciate your time as well, Michael. Really enjoyed it. So keep doing what you're doing, pal. It's appreciated. And um, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Jeff for joining us there. I really enjoyed that chat. I hope you did too. But, That is it for now, for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another packed show. Until then, remember you can read all our stuff on the website, aftn.ca. Give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, also AFTN Canada. Don't forget we also have our extra podcast, which is just a, a subscription service where you can help AFTN by making either a monthly or a yearly donation. Help everything ticking along here at the site, hosting costs and a, a lot more beside. It costs $30 for the year, $3 a month. We've produced 38 extra podcasts so far. We've got some more in the pipeline. So if you're not a subscriber yet, head along to AFTN and you can check out how you can be. Don't forget as well, on the site we've got a new button as well where you can click buy me a coffee and it'll just send a small donation as well to help us at these times when there's no real sort of paid soccer work coming in. Don't want to sound like I'm harping on every week trying to beg for money. It really doesn't sit comfortably with me and I know that a lot of us are going through some very challenging times at the moment. But I just want to thank everyone for their continued support and it really does mean a lot to me. But we will be back next week with another show. Until then... Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay indoors, and wash your hands. Bye, everybody. When you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the World Service of a Saturday afternoon, crackly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, pipe for dad, Mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?